0: This episode of the APZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Eastside Photography, your family pet and wedding photographer of choice. Kevin at Eastside Photography also provides his services for your fundraising events, helping raise money for schools, nurseries, charities or clubs. Eastside Photography's family photo shoots raise on average of £750 per event, and families benefit also from discounts on their packages. To find out more and to get your organisation registered for 2022, please contact kevin.buckin at eastsidephotography.co.uk of It's Wednesday and you know what that means. Welcome to episode 21 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott and joining me this week, it's Graham Steele. Graham, how's it going? Very well, thank you. I'm in high spirits for a change. Aren't we all? And we'll get onto that in just a second. Missing out this week though, it's Gavin Baxter. He's on his Christmas works night out on a Sunday and he's up at six tomorrow. Madness, absolute madness. It's a busy and positively buoyant episode this week as we review a fine week for the Dons with two wins from two at home against Livingston and St Mirren, which means this is well earned. With no women's match to review this week or for the young team, we'll take a regular look at our loanies and their performances in the last week. And part one of this week's show will be closed out by our preview of next week's trip to McDermott Park to face the Perth Saints, which now distinctly doesn't look like it will be a nil-nil. And we're also delighted to bring you the latest in our line of exclusive in-depth interviews with Dolan's personalities. And this week, we're delighted to welcome the current Scotland national team captain. I suspect that may be the first and only time we get to say that. And lifelong Aberdeen fan Rachel Corsi into the hot seat as we discuss her family's long-standing ties with Aberdeen, her love of the Dons, and her career, which has taken her from Aberdeen ladies to Kansas City. And we talk about her pride at leading her nation into a European championship and a World Cup. But first Aberdeen 2 Livingston 0 1st of December 2021 and Aberdeen 4 St Mirren 1 the 4th of December 2021 both in the SPFL Premiership both at the Home of Football Pittodrie Stadium. Defeat at Celtic Park left the Dons languishing in eighth spot on the receiving end of three defeats on the spin and entering a run of seven games towards the winter break with the pressure well and truly building once again on manager Stephen Glass. And there was a real feeling that this doubleheader of home games could be make or break for the manager. A bracing Wednesday evening saw just over 6,000 hardy souls descend on Potodri for the visit of Livingston and Glass shuffled his pack once again with Dylan McGee missing out with injury and Jack Gerr dropped to the bench after a chastening afternoon at Celtic Park replaced with Funzo King-Ojo returning from suspension and Jet. That's right, Jett making his first start since the 19th of August and the away leg of the Carabag Conference League playoff round. The Dons lining up in the same 4-2-3-1 formation they had at Celtic with Jett playing in the hole, Johnny Hayes and King Ojo taking up the full back positions. And a strong start by the Dons should have seen Aberdeen award their penalty on 17 minutes. Hedges is crossed, blocked by the arm of Omionga inside the box, but referee Craig Napier had his SFA standard issue blinkers on and completely Missed it. Nothing to worry about, though, for the Dons. Six minutes later, a fine sweeping move saw Ramirez play in Hedges, and his driving run was met with a lovely low finish from 15 yards to set the Dons on their way. And Hedges should have made it two. 12 minutes later, a strikingly similar move saw Strijek in the Libby goal make a fine save from the Welshman. Ramirez just couldn't quite get on the end of a Watkins cross on 40 minutes, and Watkins himself nearly converting a Hayes cross just on half time. And immediately after the break... King Ojo was on the receiving end of a poor tackle from Longridge, which saw the Livy player pick up a booking. and disappointingly for Livy, who started the second half well, this quickly turned red as Longridge picked up a second booking on the hour mark, a late challenge on Hedges penalised, probably harshly, and Livy were down to 10. And this allowed the Dons to take charge of the game, dominating possession, and the Dons doubled their lead on 75 minutes. A fine cross from Hayes, from a free kick on the left touchline, found Bates in the centre of the box, who swept a fine finish into the bottom corner for his first goal for Aberdeen. Watkins could have made it three a couple of minutes later, but the Don saw the game out comfortably and given the conditions, had made relatively light work of a Livingston side who came with an aim of frustrating and taking a point. And all eyes turned towards Saturday and the visit of St Mirren. And unsurprisingly, Stephen Glass kept faith with the same starting 11 in monsoon conditions at Potaudry. But there was the welcome sight of Declan Gallagher returning from injury to take his place on the bench in the place of Jack Gurr. And no Matty Longstaff in the matchday squad again. Presumably that might be curtains for the Geordie and we'll never see him ever again. The Dons started by shooting towards the RDS and it was St. who fashioned the first opportunity with David Bates required to block a Brophy shot and the Dons then grabbed control of the fixture in a whirlwind three-minute spell. A free kick from King Ojo was met by Watkins and his initial header was stopped by Alnick but Watkins was on hand to prod home the rebound and two minutes later it was 2-0. Ferguson bullying his way into the box before the ball found Jet and his blocked shot looped up into the box and Ramirez swiveled nicely to lash a volley past it and the Dons were suddenly on easy street. Fair play to St Mirren who came with an objective to play and they nearly grabbed a goal back and Miller header was bound for the net if it wasn't for a fine header on the line by David Bates and the buddies continued to threaten and got a deserved goal back on 42 minutes A nice cutback by Miller met by Tanzer and his finish left Lewis with no chance. But the Dons responded immediately. Jets flick on met by Hedges, and his ball to Watkins was pinpoint. and his fellow Welshman finished a cross goal into the bottom corner to restore a two-goal cushion going in at the break. A passive start by the Dons saw St. Marin take control of possession, but failing to carve out any opportunities as the second half got underway. Glass taking the opportunity to withdraw Jet for Teddy Jenks, and Jenks was involved straight away. A shot blocked by Arnwick with Fraser required to claw the ball away from the line before Ojo then had a shot blocked as Aberdeen began to take control once again. And the game was over on 71 minutes. Hedges and Watkins linking well to feed Jenks, who managed to find a fine cross in the touchline for Ramirez to poke home from close range. His first set of goals since the end of October and the American up to 11 goals for the season in all competitions, eight in the league and 16 starts. So a 50% return rate, which is nay bad. And the Dons closed the game out well, McLennan and McGinn taking the field in the closing minutes. And suddenly... Things are looking up, with results also going in the main Aberdeen's way. We find ourselves in sixth spot, four points behind Bund United in fourth, and that is a European spot. And all eyes now turn to our visit to Perth next week, as Stephen Glass's men look to make it three and three against the St. Johnson side on a run of four without a win and three defeats in a row. Graham, your thoughts on that particular doubleheader?
1: Pretty good all round, wasn't it? Probably, if we're honest, much needed six points. I'm not too sure we were totally confident of achieving that, but much needed six points. Uh, probably more importantly, maybe Saturday more so in particular, but some actually some good performances where we've been bangly strong about being convinced we've got players of a decent quality. And again, probably more so on Saturday, but I feel we did, we did demonstrate that. And I think that's what's really encouraging. We need to be first and foremost where we are on the table or where we were at that point, we need to be grinding out some results and get some points and moving away from the bottom. But it's also really quite satisfying to do that with a bit of style. And hopefully, you know, that's the beginnings of of something um, that we might actually be able to do something this season in terms of just starting to play a little bit better, push your way up the table and, you know, just see how far we can go. We've given ourselves a pretty big handicap to probably really achieve anything through the league. But you never know, um, those two games, okay, you can maybe say, uh, you know, it's Livingston and St Mirren, but I think we dispatch them with a bit of style and aplomb that's been sorely lacking for large parts of the season. European games decide. Definitely. I think, um, you know, if you listen to our
0: show last week, I think the thing we were all concerned about was probably the Livingston game more, actually, I think. I think we all recognise that St Mirren are a different St Mirren from what you'd usually expect. You know, they come and they're a bit more open, they try to play the game. And they they try to get after you, and that's what we saw on on Saturday. But Wednesday night, I think, was one of those games that all season has potentially been a massive banana skin for us. When a team just comes in, Tupat Audrey sits in, makes it really difficult, makes it niggly, makes it a scrap. When I saw the conditions as well before before the game, I was like, this is just going to play right into Livingston's hand as well. Obviously, the wind was swirling, there was sleep, snow, rain, the whole gambit. So it was really positive, I think, because we'd questioned. The last week, or I certainly had questioned. I think whether we had. I think we all know we had talented players and skillful players in our in our squad, but whether we really had the dig about them, especially if they were to be dragged into a potential relegation scrap. And I think that was what I really pleased me most about Wednesday's performance was that Livingston did exactly what we thought they were going to do, but we stood up to it. And also, more importantly, certainly in the first half, and and probably once Livingston went out ten men, we started to knock the ball about with a real sense of purpose and pace. And our movement was good and it almost didn't allow Livingston to even get close enough to us to kind of disrupt our rhythm, to make it niggly, to make it a scrap. And, and that was really impressive. Big thing for me as well, both games, we, we started both games well. Um, I think we scored after, I think it's about 25 minutes we scored against Livingston on, on Wednesday night, but obviously we get two goals within the first 10 minutes uh, on Saturday makes such a massive difference in games against what you perceive to be lesser teams because it means they can't necessarily just sit in any longer. They have to probably open up a little bit. That's a huge, huge bonus for us as well. So all in all, I thought it was two excellent performances. Two performances that were a little bit different from each other as
1: well. But all in all, a very satisfying week. Absolutely. I think, um, yeah, the Livingston game, probably go to that one first. Getting that goal, okay, maybe not early, but... Well, probably first of all, actually going back to basics, not conceding first. Yeah. It clearly sets you up um, a little bit better than than shipping the first goal. And I thought, yeah, I thought we were playing reasonably well, but, but just getting that goal when we did, I think it just really sort of settled everyone down. And we were playing quite well. We were the, the better team. And you're right, it does, they, they can then decide, well, we're going to stick to our game plan and make it stuffy. You know what, well, that's fine because we're one up. So... Fine, go, go for it, boys. It's you know doesn't really impact us the same way as it would do if it's nil-nil 60-70 minutes and we're struggling and we're probably all getting a bit frustrated in the stand. So and I know the 10 men piece, you know, fair enough, but I'm pretty confident the way that game was going, we would have we were in pretty good shape regardless. I, I personally don't think that really changed the outcome of the match. Or rather I don't think we just looked good because they were down 10. I think we were actually just playing. Mm-hmm quite well for a change. It was a rare occasion this season when it does seem to have clicked and come together. And I think you're right. That's got to be down to work rate as well as talent. You know, boys putting in a shift for each other, which I, I don't think I've seen this season people downing tools and they don't look like they're, they're playing. But at times, it does feel like we've been bullied or dominated by quote-unquote lesser teams. And that's not acceptable. And I think you're right. On Wednesday, didn't really we see... Much of that we were, we were our better players were playing well, and everyone was actually standing up to the test. It was just really, really satisfying.
0: Yeah, I mean Dundee away and probably St Mirren away in the second half when we were out ten men are probably the, the prime examples of games where we've been overrun and allowed opposition teams to to bully us to just go at us and 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 we've not really been able to stand up to it. But yeah, absolutely, Wednesday was certainly a marked improvement as far as that goes. I think without, excuse me, without wanting to be too negative about things, I know that's normally my default setting, but I think the only concern I have about the two games themselves is that it still felt to me that we're struggling to still put together a full, complete 90-minute performance. I thought that first half against Livingston, we were really good, but we kind of came out and we were pretty sloppy actually in the opening 15, 20 minutes of the second half, pretty much until Longridge gets sent off actually. And you run the risk of letting Livingston back into a game that they were really not you know, not at the races of uh, at half time, and then the same again against Livingston. Uh, sorry, against St Mirren on Saturday. Um, I thought that we were very passive in the opening 15 minutes of the second half as well, and we allowed St Mirren to get a hold of the ball to kind of dominate possession actually against us, which is not something that many teams have done against us at Catoldey this season. Okay. During that spell, St Mirren didn't really create any clear cut opportunities I can remember, but I kind of had this niggling feeling that there was. Something was coming potentially. On that point, credit to the manager. I think that the swap of Jet for Jenks at that point in the game on Saturday really helped us, allowed us to get a bit more of a foothold in the midfield. I thought Jenks did really, really well when he when he came off the bench, and so, and so credit has to go to Stephen Glass from that perspective. But just that little bit of niggly concern, so that we 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 can't seem to quite put together two forty-five minutes of good football.
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Wednesday in particular. I kind of felt like we could have maybe given Livingston a bit of a pasting. It would be nice to see us just, you know, really go for it. But you're right, we we did enough and that's, okay, probably can't be too critical of that. But I felt like, yeah, I don't know if it's guys just playing within themselves or given the way the season's going, everyone's a little bit cautious maybe about going a bit more gung-ho and things because they're kind of thinking, oh, well, we're not being defended particularly well. We'll just hold on to this. I'm not too sure. But you're right, it was a little bit flat in the second half which probably might be us getting a little bit too greedy too quickly based on where we've come from. But, um, yeah, and the piece about Saturday, I was less concerned about how we started, given that we were 3-1 up. But had we not scored basically the stroke, of the first half you're 2-1, yeah. I'd have definitely be sitting there thinking, ah, we've seen this before, there's only a goal in it. We've not really started and it only takes a foul up which is what we've been doing quite often or you know a decision or whatever it may be so that that was a little bit concerning because you're not always going to be 3-1 up at the start of the half and no. more importantly you're not always going to be playing St Mirren again, not to pick on St Mirren, there are better teams in the league and if you basically just sit back for the first 15 minutes and say okay boys have the ball and come at us it's, a pretty, it's just not a good place to be so that, that was a little bit disappointing but overall I think we're sort of borderline nitpicking from the you know those performances versus the the previous performances were probably been a little bit harsh but something to note that the game is over 90 minutes as you've as you pointed out a couple of times in that last piece and it is, a little, it is a little bit concerning because we have seen that plenty of times this season where either we just don't get going or we do start to get into a game. But then for whatever reason we just can't keep that Going and then, you know, sort of the, the flow of the match turns. So, a couple of things to be concerned about, but to be fair, they've been all there all season. But some of the other bits and pieces that have been problematic, you know, with scores and goals generally didn't look too bad defensively. So, that was really yeah. encouraging to see. Real positives as well,
0: I thought, for us over the, the two games in particular were our defensive performances. Um, I'm going to leave the fullbacks to one side just now. will talk about the fullbacks in a minute or two. But I thought that the centre half pair at David Bates and Ross McCrory is really, really starting to. To develop now, I thought Wednesday night um, was David Bates' best game for Aberdeen so far. And I thought he kind of stepped up to the plate again on Saturday. I thought he was excellent in in both games. And I thought Ross McCoy was really, really good in both games as well. Probably just outshone a little bit by Bates. Probably on Wednesday night because Bates gets the goal. And then probably again, actually on Saturday, Bates probably steals the headlines a little bit for that header that he cleared
1: off the line. Yeah, that was absolutely first class. And that's what you want to see. Ignore the arguments about, Rear guard action That means someone's Not done their job That's what yeah. you want To see people in the right place At the right time Reading the game Just throwing themselves at it um, You're right That was absolutely excellent And more of that For the rest of the season Please
0: Yeah definitely I mean I think hopefully What we are seeing now is I've been saying it for weeks now. I've been banging the Ross McCrory drum now for the last six or seven weeks, I think, about this. I think he's really starting to really, really develop into actually a very handy centre-half at the moment. We've maybe all been a little bit harsh on David Bates, potentially, because I know we all realised he hadn't had a lot of football and he hadn't... You know, he, he arrived very late in the, in the window. I actually hadn't realised until he did an interview, I think, the other week. Um, I hadn't realised just how little pre-season he'd actually had before he arrived. I had assumed, incorrectly, obviously, that he'd been at least still part of the Hamburg, the Hamburg 2, or Hamburg SPI, I guess, if we want to be correct about it. They're kind of pre-season set up, but it doesn't sound like he has been at all. So when he arrived here, he'd literally done next to nothing, was thrown straight into playing games. And I think it just goes to show that that's not something that's easy for a guy to to come in and adapt to, especially in the Scottish League, which is all hustle bustle, as we all know. And hopefully, fingers crossed, we're starting to now see the the David Bates that I think we all hope we were getting.
1: Yeah, I, I find having not been a professional footballer it's you know I'm never going to know what it's like having skipped a preseason, for example or rather missed to say skipped missed a preseason, then coming in having to play and try to get your your fitness and your awareness and you figure out what your teammates can and can't do all in one hit so maybe there is a lot more to it than I ever imagined but you're right if we can kind of set that aside the last couple of games it does look like it's all starting to fall in to place for him, and I'm sure there'll be a couple of blips on the way because that's the way a season plays out. But so far, it, it does look like he's starting to prove that there is a good player there. It's just taken probably a lot longer than any of us really wanted for him to start to demonstrate that. So it's all encouraging, definitely.
0: And I mean, the good thing as well is it's a settled centre half pairing in front of Joe Lewis as well at the moment. And Joe Lewis gets a clean sheet on Wednesday night, which is much needed. He didn't really have an awful lot to do on Wednesday night, but what he did or what he had to do, he did well. I thought. I thought on Saturday he was excellent. made some really key saves in that first half, back to kind of the Joe Lewis that we have come to expect, the kind of form we would expect. And hopefully as well for him, having a settled, at least pairing in front of him, is starting to help bear fruit as well in terms of him gaining his confidence back again.
1: I think it must do. I I suppose he has to have that confidence in the, you know, Bates and McCrory as to what balls are they going to attack or not. And, you know, likewise, they need to know, right, this ball's coming in the box. Joe always comes for them. So I just need to make sure no one's running off my shoulder type thing. But I know Lewis is going to be coming through the back of me to collect it. So I think, yeah, hopefully it's just encouraging signs that three good players starting to settle, get confidence in each other, which then obviously allows them to play to the best of their ability and they complement each other because it was, yeah, it was good. And you're right, Lewis made some really good saves, which is the Joe Lewis that we're all used to. Where generally speaking, you can rely on him to make the right save at the right time. Uh, and he was like yeah I don't really think there was much he could have done with the goal to be honest it just, nah. just kind of happened did it before you know it, um, the balls on the net but I can't remember was it Brophy who was through in the first half and a decent shot on yeah. Lewis you know he sort of gets a hand palms around the post and bits yeah. and pieces like that I think even a month six weeks ago I was, I was probably in but that that was an example of Lewis just being back to, to doing what he does so I think we've been here before there's been a run of games it's been encouraging so it's kind of difficult not to get too carried away but a couple of games back to back where there's definitely more to like than dislike
0: absolutely i think it was interesting we kept the same system we used at celtic park the four the 4231 um in in both games still concerned and this is not an a and it, uh, I dig at the personnel per se um who are filling those roles uh, still concerned that it does leave our full backs the system leaves our full backs exposed we don't really have a lot of natural with the head of our full backs and I saw it especially in the St Mirren match that both Hayes and Ojo were kind of being left two on one a lot of the time especially down Hayes' side actually like against St Mirren and that does does trouble me still a little bit because with a team with a bit more quality getting that kind of level of time and space down the wings and that, that overlap teams are going to make you pay for that eventually and, and that still is a concern for me I still think that I think Ojo did a, a, a fine job at right back in both games it's not his natural position but he's a player who's, who's worth in the squad is almost immeasurable, I would suggest, at the moment, given the amount of injuries we still have and his versatility to be able to slot into a whole host of different positions that he's done this season. And, and generally do a pretty decent job in there. is one of these players, I think, that I'm not sure he's ever going to be a 9 out of 10 in any position, but he's kind of a 6 or 7 out of 10 every week in a position that you put him into. For a team like us to have that in the squad, that... Versatility is almost, like I said, they're almost immeasurable. I think.
1: Yeah, I would say any any team, regardless of ability, you, you need a core of guys that just do a really good job week in, week out. And maybe people don't notice that and they don't realise it, but if these guys aren't doing their job well. Then you can't have your better players playing well because if your better players, for example, are constantly having to track someone back, then they're not in the attacking areas you want when we have possession. So. Yeah, I thought Joe. Yeah, he was really good. He's been really good this season. Better maybe earlier on, but he was maybe had a slightly slightly different role to play. But yeah, I'm quite happy when I see him in the in the lineup. I don't really have any concerns where we put him based on what we've seen to date. And it's, yeah, it is really good to have because we just don't have the luxury of having two, three players competing for every position yeah so yeah someone who can come in and do a job here and then do a job there next week is what you need to have a successful season
0: well in the center midfield we definitely do have two or three players competing for positions but um elsewhere we're we're maybe a little bit shorter than that but Ojo's an interesting one because he's out of contract at the end of the season and I would actually be quite happy to see us um sign Ojo up on an extended deal now I don't know if there are talks on going with him or not the only concern I have is I think I did read somewhere or I heard somewhere before that Ojo was one of the highest earners at the club. Um, he, he signed up a pretty bumper contract when he arrived. Well, I think it was Ojo himself talked about it, didn't he, in the summer?
1: I think when, yeah, because he was opening up about what he hadn't been playing and was he yeah. going to give up football. And I can't remember his exact wording, but his wording was along the lines of I have a good contract here, so, you know, I've had to set it out. That's what I would do and then I'll go home and then I'll figure out what I'm going to do. But, yeah. So, yeah, that might, be, that might be a stumbling block. But then, on the other hand he might be looking at it and saying well come the summertime I'm unemployed so something's better than than nothing so yeah. I'd be quite content to keep him around as well but obviously we've got parameters to work in and if he you know if we can't accommodate him in that that'd be, be a bit of a pity to see him disappear based on how this season's gone the interesting thing I thought with the um the setup in both games this week as well for me
0: was that we almost played it felt to me in, in both games almost. The way that Karabag played against us, um, certainly at Potri, they, they kind of did it in Baku as well, but I think it was more apparent at Potodre, where they played the four, two, three, one, but they basically said to their four attacking players, the three and the one, you just stay up the park. Like you don't actually need to worry too much about tracking back. We actually don't want to see you tracking back. We want to keep you guys as far up the park as we possibly can to occupy the defense and to allow us to spring quickly. And that was quite refreshing for us, I thought. We've we've played this four, two, three, one now. You know, it was Derek McInnes' go-to formation, but we never, ever were in a situation where you'd see us leave four players up the park in the way we're doing at the moment. And I wonder if we've kind of stumbled across, although it does expose us, the fullbacks a little bit, I do wonder if we've stumbled on a bit of a formation, a setup for those games against those teams. And I hate saying it like that because it makes, it makes us sound really snobbish, but against the perceived smaller teams in the league when they come up here, And they sit in, etc, etc If you keep four guys up the park You're going to start causing teams problems Because you're just going to be almost relentless In the way that you continue to attack them And you're going to be occupying them for so much of the game Rather than just having an Adam Rooney or a Sam Cosgrove Or even what we were doing earlier in the season Just having Ramirez up there by himself And then waiting for support to arrive You could see it so much Wednesday night And probably more on Saturday The interplay between that four And we're going to come on to the personnel on that four in a minute because um, so I want to pick your brains About one individual in particular But for me I thought it was an interesting tweak To the way we've been playing And I thought
1: it worked really well for us Yeah, I think you can see both sides of it You, If you're leaving guys up Then yeah, they're there If you can win the ball back and swing a counter You've got bodies up front And we've said time and time again Ramirez does not look like the kind of guy Who just plays up in his own He needs someone with him So instantly having support If we can win the ball Get it up to them quickly is really good and I kind of think like you know if, if all you're doing if your forward line is just regressing and basically running back with the opposition defense so it just allows them to push up as well so I know it swings and roundabouts because you might want numbers in your half etc but I think for what we were hoping for from this season and a new style of play as in we'd be a bit more adventurous and we'd be a bit more attacking it's quite encouraging to see guys getting told no no don't worry you, you stay up there we're pretty confident we're going to win the ball back And then when we do, great. We're not just shelling it to Ramirez. He's not had to drop to the halfway line to try and pick up. And then, you know, there's nothing. If it does get shelled up, well, the chances are someone's actually going to pick up, if not the first ball, second ball, because we've actually got numbers up there. And if they can take it in and lay off a pass, great. There's bodies up there before you even consider wingers getting past or the midfielders joining in. So it is encouraging to watch. I realise it's kind of like um, you can't have your cake and eat it can you? You kind no. of have to decide what your mentality is. Are we going to try and sit in and soak everything up or are we going to try and play on the front foot and be a bit more bold? Now you're right. Certain games you might say, I'm not sure we've got the players for that, but there are certain, there are games in the league that we absolutely should be doing that, especially at home.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And I think as well, if you've got a base in your midfield of like Brown and Ferguson, you can probably, I would suggest you could probably afford to be a bit more adventurous. Because they are two very very good centre midfielders in our league, I would suggest that you know they're in the the top three centre midfield pairings in the league. There's not many teams that are going to shouldn't theoretically dominate them as a centre midfield pairing. Getting the ball back quickly, etc. Scott Brown's game. Ferguson's good at breaking the lines and and making runs from box to box. Good at driving with the ball as well. So it seems like a setup that really does lend itself to. To favouring us, I think Certainly in a lot of home game, home games this season I would, I would imagine if we could really take the game To a lot of teams away from home As well with that set That would stand us in a lot of good stead And it certainly seemed to work for us I mean, in terms of the attacking four That played both games Watkins and Ramirez get all the headlines for Saturday Because they get a goal, uh, two, two goals apiece Thought that Watkins across The first half against Livingston I thought he was quite quiet second half First game against Livingston, superb same with Hedges as well. First half against Livingston, thought he was excellent. Ramirez was a bit quiet against Livingston, I thought. Um, played the ball in for um, Hedges, obviously for his first one. Did a lot of good work against, still a lot, a lot of good, good, unselfish work, a lot of good forward play. But was clearly needing that goal, so I was delighted for him. He got his two goals on, on Saturday, and the, both of those, especially the first one's a fine, the first one was a great finish, proper penalty box striker stuff, exactly what you're looking for, and it, it goes straight into what you were just talking about a minute ago. He can't play up by himself. Give him some guys that they're supporting, who are then taking shots, whatever, and deflect to him like they did on Saturday. He's a decent finisher. Um, he will score goals. I mean, like I say, he's, he's eight and sixteen in the league now. Doesn't take penalties, so that's a you know that's a, a very good record for a guy coming in and playing his first season in Scottish football. Hedges I thought first half Livingston was good Thought he was okay actually yesterday against Simmer And didn't think it was necessarily quite as gung-ho But this is what the good thing about the front set of players we have at the moment Is they don't all necessarily need to be on it at the same time There's guys who can be on it and not on it And we still look pretty threatening which is good And then we come to the Enigma I think there's a lot of people were scratching their head a little bit On Wednesday night when they saw number 14 Jet was in the starting lineup. None more so than your ABZ Football Podcast hosts, because we'd foolishly made a bet in the afternoon with somebody that Jet scored against Livingston. We would buy three of those Jet Top Gun T shirts out at the club shop. And um expecting that would be a safe bet, given he'd barely gotten the pitch for the last 10 weeks. I'm just going to throw it to you, Grant, because I, f- I feel that you've been the most vociferous about Jet this season. So, how did you think the big man did?
1: He played well. And there is, I've said many times, there's no doubting his ability. There's nothing wrong with him as a football player, but he just he has zero application. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think I'm being unreasonable because if he did, he wouldn't be playing for Aberdeen. He'd be absolutely tearing up a significantly higher level. Yeah, so the games in particular, I think we got away with it because we weren't really under the cosh of getting overrun and he didn't have to be tracking back because he doesn't do it. Yeah. So it did work out in those games and he was good. I mean, some of the some of the little back heels and the link up play, and the touches and stuff. I mean, it's great to watch those little sort of highlights heels in isolation. Yeah. The what you don't see is 80 minutes where he's just standing there watching boys run past him. And yeah, there was less of that on Wednesday and Saturday.
0: Or when he decides rather than play a simple five yard pass, he has to like a 10 yard back heel
1: and coughs up possession doing it. Yeah. Which did happen on Wednesday night. It did. And, for me, I can forgive that from a creative attacking player because yeah. you you want them to be doing things and trying things and taking chances because that's how spaces are created, you know. That that's how you get in behind someone by doing something. But the thing that would annoy me like that is he does that, but then he's not like, oh well, I should probably go and try and cover for someone who's had to cover for me. Yeah. He'll just stand there. Now maybe that fits in with what you were saying. If we we're leaving guys up front, you know, he tries it, it, doesn't work, but the ball comes back to him quickly. He's there rather than having to. To track back I just I felt in games I've seen him previously Where we are overrun And people just need to be Putting in a shift You just can't rely on them
0: No I, I think Jet yeah, I think I think what those two games have, have demonstrated once again Is it's a horses for courses thing I think that Once again actually And it's It's, it's been good to see Because I know we've been a bit like I don't know if you will actually See much of him Again Kind of take the view That maybe the manager Doesn't fancy him anymore Whatever I kind of feel like Wednesday night Livingston is kind of I think we actually talked About this at the start of the season You know that where there are games where teams are going to come And they're going to sit in Jet's probably quite a useful option in those games And to play him in the hole Don't play him up top Don't shell balls up to him Because he's a, he's a big lad And look for him for flick-ons and stuff Allow him to play in that kind of middle area Between the defence and the midfield Where no one's quite sure who's meant to be picking him up And he pulls defenders Sometimes more than one defender because of his size and his ability on the ball, what it actually starts to do is, and we saw it and sat on Wednesday night in particular, it starts to create space for other players to to operate in. Because if you look at the goal, uh, the first goal on, on Wednesday night, ball drops about the halfway line. I think it's about two Livingston players kind of commit to try and go in on Jack. It takes the ball down magnificently. It's a, re- it's a ludicrous touch, given the conditions. And he finally decides to play a really simple pass into Ramirez. It doesn't do anything fancy. And suddenly we're in because. Livy over committed and try and mark jet happened a few times on on um on wednesday saw it again on saturday in in the first 45 but you're absolutely right what we then saw in the opening 15 minutes of the second half was where jet doesn't work for us in particular games because st minnan started to get on the ball started to dominate possession we were we were in danger ourselves of becoming i don't want to say overrun but we were struggling a lot bit at that point We didn't really have a foothold In the midfield We were struggling in that gap Between the, the midfield And the attack Manager sees it Makes a good switch Jenks gave us the legs In the midfield Once again And we kind of took control Of the game again from there But it's interesting Because I think it's given us All of a sudden again Another option to think about now In terms of what our front front line can actually do
1: I agree with that I just think There's a really small Like operating window For Jet Over the course of a season It's like literally A handful of occasions where you could see him actually bringing a benefit to the team and that you could make a strong case for him starting. And I just don't think that's that's just not enough. I just don't think we can have that luxury. To be honest, I I wish there was probably many coaches and fans who've watched him over the years saying the same. If you could figure out how to get him going, you'd be be absolutely laughing. But at this stage in the game, I don't think anyone ever is going to, or himself for that matter.
0: Yeah, I think I tweeted out, but I was like, if... You know, we might have found a system, or if we found a system that suits Jet, and if he can do it consistently, then we'd be laughing. But it's two massive ifs in that statement. The one thing I would say is that's two games in a row there that he did the business. Well, for 45 minutes in, against needed, which is probably more consistent than we've seen up until
1: now. So I don't know. Maybe there's been a word.
0: Maybe he's been told he needs to get his finger out
1: a bit. Yeah. I mean, if he'd be quite happy if he proves me be wrong, because like I say, he's, he's an excellent football player. And you you do want that in your team. I just think sometimes as much as you want that in your team, we just can't, you just can't carry a passenger. Yeah. I do
0: think hopefully maybe we've, we we have found a way that we can get the most out of them that benefits the team, allows us to, certainly allows us to break down teams that come in, try to send, try to make things niggly, et cetera. Fingers crossed. Fair play to the big man. Thought he did really well for a game and a half.
1: More of that, please. Yeah, yeah. Much improved. And you're absolutely right. If we can get more of that, then that is going to make quite a big difference because he, okay, he maybe won't, won't be scoring the goals, but he absolutely offers a chance to create them. Before we move on to top dons, just a quick word for your favourite player in the league. Jason Holt didn't get booked. Didn't get booked on Wednesday night. You must have been loving that. Well, I, I can't say I was surprised. I mean, it's entirely what I expected. But then today against Hearts... Well, I know, but I've only seen that screenshot from you and I'm not sure that's not some fake news. Did you think I didn't have Photoshop that thing? Oh, no, he did. He got booked
0: this afternoon against heart So the unbookable run for Jason Holt comes to a grinding halt. What's that phrase? The exception that proves the rule? <laughs> I think that's the one. So
1: looking across both games, top dons for you. I can't really, I don't know if I can really pick anyone from Saturday because I thought everyone was really good. And I don't include Jet in that when He was, that, that spell in the second half where everyone was a bit, Off it, But in general, everyone was excellent on Saturday. I I did like Jenks when he came on. I thought he was really quite positive, good forward runs. You already touched on the the shot that he had. A bit tidy save from the keeper. I thought he was decent. Wednesday, again, it's an odd one. Watkins in the first half, Hedges in the first half, probably everyone in the first half. Uh In the second half, it was a bit, yeah, okay, Bates got his goal. We were all right, but I think it was a little bit flat for the first half and everyone's kind of accountable for that. So I'll be honest, I don't actually think I can single out one individual, but I think that's a positive thing because unlike maybe the last couple of games where you've been looking at, well, this boy was okay and this boy was okay and the rest of it was a bit woeful. Everyone did their job and they did it rather well over those two games.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. I think for me, I thought Bates and McCrory were excellent in the Livingston match. Without us really being ever really properly threatened, I just think they dealt with what they had to deal with Really well, really competently, which was a bit of a, a follow-on from the Celtic match. I, I felt against Celtic, actually, our centre halves looked comfortable for ninety minutes. I never felt it was through the centre back. Area. I spoke about it last week. I never felt it was down the centre that that caused us really an issue. It was it was down the flanks where we really where we really suffered. So I was delighted with the two of them. I thought Bate, Bates getting his goal as well. Hopefully that allows him to kick on as well, which is good. You're probably right. I think on Saturday it's very hard. I mean, Watkins Ramirez superb. And again, I thought Macquarie and Bates did well. It's very hard to pick guys out, I think. You're absolutely right. It was was just a very good all round performance on the whole, although there were stages in both games where we kind of let things slip a little bit. Um, And and as we said, Teddy Jenks, honourable mention for the Jenks Um, (laughs) Meister-General.
1: I mean, I think, Gavin, if you're listening, you can cut that. Keep it in, Gav, keep it in. I'm convinced there's more we can get from Jenks. I know he's had a couple of, Poor appearances, but in his defence, it wasn't the only one on that day. You know, We were just in a pretty poor run of form. A couple of times he's come on, thought he's been pretty handy, thought he's pretty handy on Saturday. I would like to, whether he really gets, I don't know where he does get into the team unless there's suspensions or we're changing it up, but I'd be happy for him to hang around second half of the season and maybe we can start to find a way to to utilise him a little bit more often because I think there's something there.
0: I, I agree, I think there's a, I, I think there's definitely a player in, in there with Teddy Jenks I don't know if he's struggled a wee bit coming up here And just the pace of the game, etc He's used to playing under 23s football in England Which I can only imagine will be very good from a technical perspective But I can't imagine as particularly physical, particularly in your face Yada, yada, yada I can't believe it'll be that way Probably being played on pristine pitches and academy, you know, surroundings And all that kind of good stuff I do think there's something in there about Jenks I think he's got a good... I think he's got a good build for a footballer, um, he's, he has a bit of pace about him, carries the ball well when he when he gets going with it, passing looks decent enough, and he's got a decent enough hit on him from what we can see, so I I think there's something there, and it's like you say, how we manage to get the most out of him and where, where he fits, etc, even if it's coming on as an impact sub like you did on, on Saturday, that's ideal, gives us that bit of a foothold in the game. Fantastic Certainly way way better We're showing way way more I mean Just even on Saturday Alone he showed way more Than our other looney From a Premier League club in, in England So For me Teddy Jenks Fingers crossed We can get a bit more out of him Looks like he's actually A, a decent player in there So All in all A, a good week For Aberdeen And it certainly helped for us as well Because results generally Have gone our way With teams around us
1: I think first and foremost We needed to You know Sort of take care of our own business As you were But If we're going to get anything out of the league, we are going to have to be relying on people slipping up. You're right, it's gone about as well as it could have gone pretty much, actually. So um, from our own point of view, six points, and it does help that the table's looking a little little bit better thanks to the other teams as well.
0: Well, I think it just shows how mad the league is, actually, this season as well, I guess. You you look at Motherwell, they they, they get scudded 3-0 by Dundee, then they go and beat Dundee United in midweek, and then they draw 1-1 at Easter Road.
2: Yesterday, which was a
0: great result for Aberdeen Just because of how that affects both those teams United obviously getting beat a 3-0 today by Celtic And then they had that 1-0 defeat by Motherwell one the week So they've not won this week at all Hearts got beat at Celtic Park During the week, and okay, they, they snuck a 1-0 win Today, but all in all it Couldn't have been much better for us Sitting in sixth place tonight Four points off of Europe Which, even a week ago, would have
1: seemed A pipe dream it's, Yeah, strange old season from our own point of view, and it's actually quite easy just to get sort of bogged down in the sort of quagmire that has been our season. But you're right, we actually look at the table now and I realise that like Hebb's got a couple of games in hand, that's fine. Yeah. But everyone else, you know, what are we a few points behind Motherwell, Dundee United, played the same game. You know, it doesn't, I don't look quite as bad as maybe I know I was guilty of thinking it was. So it doesn't take much. But then the flip side is, I'm not certain we're out of the woods yet, as in, you know, As a couple of wins That was great We had that hot streak in October There's got to be a little bit more Before I think anyone With an association with Aberdeen Might think Yeah we might be able to String a few results here And actually push up the table But having said that I'd rather be looking at us With 21 points after 17 Than where we were before
0: Definitely I mean You're right Who knows This could be another Just a two win a A two game streak And then we go off And do something daft again Fingers crossed, it's not. I'd really like to see us get a bit of a renaissance that lasts longer than two weeks. It'd Be good. There's always the possibility that that's just going to be our season this year because there is this inverted commas transition process, etc. We might be, we might have that level of inconsistency about us. We might be a bit hot and cold as the season goes. If it ends up with us finishing in kind of sixth spot, I mean, uh, that would be vastly underperforming where our budget is. But I think certainly for me at the start of the season, I'd probably taking it as a series, as a season of. Trying to do something new Etc etc But now I look it And I go Shit we're only four points Off of Europe actually Like we should really be going Gung ho at this And really try to Claw this back As the season goes What's interesting I've just actually Even just spotted this If you think how bad We've been for a lot Of this season We've got the fourth Best goal difference In the league Which is quite surprising Actually (laughs) Our goal difference Is zero Bang on We've, We've scored 22 Conceded 22 But it's the fourth best Goal difference in the league at the moment Which seems surprising Because it feels like we've been shipping goals for fun And not really scoring very many But there we go It just shows just how mad the league is Other news from Todry this week And for the women No game to review But the women are back in action next Sunday With an away fixture at Hamilton Academicals Before the winter break then kicks in So I'm sure that Emma Hunter and Gavin Beath Will be looking to try and get three points on the board Before they head into the winter break To try and instill some confidence Ahead of coming back in January And for the young team No match for the young team either this week But the Dons were delighted to confirm a two-year contract extension For highly rated 17-year-old Ryan Duncan Who now remains under contract until 2024 Duncan with 10 goals in the Cass under 18 league this season He's out on loan with Peterhead until January And he made the bench for the first time yesterday Although he didn't come onto the pitch As Peterhead drew Desmond with Clyde and on loan watch in the Highland League, starts for Kevin Hanrati and Tyler McEyta for, for Martin United, away at Wick Academy. And they both found the net as for Martin ran out 4-1 winners. Tom Ritchie and Jack McIver starting for Huntley away at Barora Sevco, but they were on the wrong end of a 4-0 hiding. Keith's game against Fort William was postponed, so no action for Jamie Shingler. And it was the same story for Jack Milne as Breakin's Scottish Cup replay against Darville. Also fell foul to the weather. Kelty Hearts came through their Scottish Cup replay against Montrose on penalty kicks, with no appearances though for Connor Barron or Kieran Ngwenya. It's St Johnston up next for Kelty, so I wonder whether there'll be an agreement with the Dons that the two lads can appear in those ones. Mark Gallagher came off the bench for the final minutes, 4 for Athletic beat Albion Rovers 3 2. And all credit to the Albion Rovers announcer who was pranked into reading out a number plate that read NE1 4A BJ lovely stuff. Michael Ruth started but was subbed at halftime as Falkirk were thrashed 6-0 by Queen's Park in the statement of the day. Paul Sheeran's quote presumably on a shugly peg and finally Luke Turner kept his place in the starting lineup for Cliftonville as they beat Ballymena 1-0 in the Northern Irish Premiership and they stay two points clear of Linfield Mon the Cliftonville. Now, let's have a wee look at our Fantasy Football Scotland League this week. Graham,
1: how have you gone? Reasonably well, actually. Although I'm slightly confused. On the start screen, it says I've got 81 points. But if I click into my team, I have 80 points. Oh, But either way, it's more than double the norm. So I'm in high, high spirits in terms of the Fantasy Football.
0: That is good. That's not bad. I have 44 points this week, which is okay. Um, not bad considering... Four of my players didn't play this week. Loads of points for Ramirez, Nisbet, and Watt, so that's that's helped me out a little bit there. But um, yeah, slipped down the league this week because I think it was a pretty high-scoring week for most people. I'm down to 158th spot now in the uh, in in the fantasy football league. I am 159. 159. It's the battle. Oh, that on. makes
1: it interesting.
0: That does make it interesting. I like that. I like, well, let's see how Gav's done sweet Considine, 84 points for Gav this week. I can't see where he's ended up in the league now. Can't really be arse looking, so we'll move on to the top of the table. Jack Curran and his two turkeys still out in front. 1,024 points with a, a nine-point lead over Gold, Frankincense, and Ger Stephen Brown. He's had a good week. 74 points. And then GX Silly Geese rounding out the top three. 998. So, just make sure keep on checking on with your Fantasy Football League team. Some good prizes to be won at the end of the season. And remember... Don't pick any of them, or it's a 400-point deduction. So, Graham, let's take a look. The Dons visit McDermott Park this Saturday. First time we've taken the trip to last season's Cup double winners, St Johnston. What are we thinking? What are we expecting?
1: Well, first of all, it still doesn't sound any less crazy when you say double Cup winners, St Johnston. I still can't get my head around that one. Is it twisting your melon, man? It certainly is. What am I expecting? (laughs) It's not usually a great deal of fun down there, is it? Generally not,
0: but we'll come on to that. I mean, St. Johnson have got... Let's have a look at their, their statistics. Let's look at the data. And I don't know if you spotted this actually. Just I'm going to regress really quickly and talk about Saturday again. Have we seen the data for Saturday? I have not. So we didn't win possession against St. minute, but we had more shots on target or more shots on goal. So I don't know what that means. Who won the data? Mm, maybe we have to call that a draw. Yeah, I don't understand I don't know how that works out We'll need to get Dave Cormack on To give us a shout about Who wins the data In that particular circumstance
1: Joking aside, more importantly If we didn't actually have More of the possession For once, we actually used The possession we had You know, and and did did something with it But yeah, maybe that's just A score draw or points tie I don't know where the boxing parlance is I I don't know where that leaves us In
0: the data league I've no idea um, to be fair, the, the possession stuff was like it was like forty nine point four to fifty point six or something. It's basically a drop, but there we go. But looking at the data for St Johnston, they are they're not in a good place at the moment. Well, Perth, but one win in seven, three defeats on the spin. Uh, their match on Saturday was postponed due to a waterlogged pitch at uh, McDermott. They've got the second worst home record in the league. They've got only one win in eight games they've played at home and three draws. They've scored only nine goals all season, conceding 15, which is very much at odds with what you traditionally expect from St. Johnson. And two of their nine goals were own goals. So they've got the worst record in the league for shots on target per match. 2.4 per game is the average, which leads them to have the lowest expected goals in the league of 11.6 for the campaign so far. And Aberdeen, bear in mind how horrendously shit we've been for most of the season, we're nearly double that at 21.1. Stevie May, Chris Kane, they're their joint top scorers on two. Like for me, everything that I look at this and I go, this should be an opportunity for us to go to somewhere we've where we historically kind of struggle, where it's historically a bit of a turgid affair. We should be going here with a lot of confidence about being able to do a number on St. Johnston here and and hopefully come with three points and make it nine out of nine and, and be very much on the
1: charge going into the winter break. I, I absolutely agree with that. I'm just looking at it. You know, if we, if we could win on Saturday... Again, we're not out of the woods, and it's not a case of, right, season's back on, and everything's brilliant. But I think that'd be a really, really big result. One, we need the points, and you you just want to push yourself further away from the bottom. But more importantly, we we slipped up and gave Dundee, I think, was it their first home win? Yeah. St Mirren hadn't won a game. I know we did go down to 10, so it was slightly mitigating circumstances, because we were looking pretty handy in that game uh, until we had the Jenk sent off. If we could win on Saturday against a team that's in really run a really poor run of form and we've kind of come unstuck every time we've played someone in that sort of run of form this season, that, that really would be quite a, a decent statement, you know, ignoring the fact that the three points would be excellent. I feel like that really would maybe just start to settle things down and show that yeah, we are starting to be able to put some results together and battle our way through games, because I think it will be a battle. I'd, I'd be really surprised if we went down there and did what we did to St Mirren on Saturday, for example, where at times you know, we're scoring some great goals and popping the ball around. But if we could get through that, that would be that would be really good. And if we can't, you've got to say that's, that's just going to be really frustrating me to me. The state they're in, everyone's beating them. You know, yeah. That's why they're down there. So I'd be really disappointed if we're not beating them. It's not going to be
0: easy, obviously. St. Johnston, they're always a, a, a very tough opponent, generally speaking, for us. So they're clearly missing Jason Kerr and Ali McCann, who they sold on the last day of the transfer window. Didn't really have an opportunity to bring anyone in. Clearly, goals are a huge, huge issue for them. As we just said, there are nine goals in the league all season, two of which are one goals. It's just that that's not a recipe for success. And the other, the other reason I think actually it would be so huge for us to to get a win on Saturday as well, is that if you look at the other fixtures on Saturday, uh, United are home to Livingston. We know what Livingston will do in a match like that. I don't think United have... He says this now. I don't think United have got a lot of goals about them. United, United are now also one, winning seven after today. Um, so I'm, I would expect that the, the pressure might be starting to be applied to, to Tam Courts as well. Their early season form has really taken a, a nosedive in recent weeks. Uh, they don't score a lot of goals Don't they so if Livingston go in and sit there and frustrate That could easily end up in a 0-0 Or even a Livingston smash and grab St. Mirren against Hibs in Paisley Hibs are a bit up and down at the moment this season We saw enough at St. Mirren yesterday I think to, to suggest that St. Mirren could cause Hibs some problems It probably just depends on how tight St. Mirren can keep it at their end And then on the Sunday, Hearts are at home at Rangers And Muddle will travel to Celtic So all things being equal and equal you know, as they normally go there, you're looking at the potential where Hearts, Motherwell, Hibs and United could all drop points over the course of the over the course of next weekend. And those are the teams who are in around us. And you know, if, if if let's just say we were able to take a to, to get a win, put ourselves up to 24 and Motherwell and United, for example, drop points, Hearts as well, suddenly you're probably one point off Motherwell, two points off of United potentially if they end up with a draw. You know, it's it's a big weekend potentially for us as, as to where our season goes because it's all about building momentum, isn't it, as well. And seeing you're clawing people back hopefully towards you and um, i guess the opposite is always true as well that a defeat would you know potentially see us not necessarily be clawed back into a kind of bottom six battle or anything like that but it potentially just gives some of the teams below us a bit of, you know aspiration trying climb back up the table towards us
1: i, f- I feel like if we're going to get anything out of this league campaign we obviously need to take care of our own business and we are going to rely on people just tanking down the table or dropping points whatever it may be so scenario you described first time out could be looking significantly better on the other hand like you say if we if we don't get anything out of the game you know it just feels like we're not quite back to square one but it's like the tail of the season is it's a couple of steps forward three four back you know we're never really we've never really got going and I think it's really really important that we do at some point now if that means we can get four or five wins in a row and then it's a blip and then you can go again that would all be really encouraging to show that we're actually improving. And again, I keep, I keep coming back to St. Johnston They're right down at the wrong end of the table. Everyone else is, generally speaking, taking points off them. Uh-huh. That alone, uh, you know, we, we should be doing that as well. And they're at home, fine, but their confidence has to be pretty low. We are going in there, I would imagine, in pretty good shape from a, a conference point of view. I mean, we've not shipped that many goals recently and we've scored quite a few, so... It's kind of two teams at opposite ends of the scale isn't it?
0: Yeah, definitely and I think as well you look at upcoming fixtures, it's a real opportunity for us to claw in, I certainly think Dundee United uh, United, as I said earlier on, they play Livingston at home uh, this coming week weekend after that they're away at Rangers then they're home at Hebb's on Boxing Day Home at St Mirren and then it's a Dundee derby on the 2nd of January before we head at the winter break. United not on a good run of form as we just said, you know, you look at that run and you say they might struggle to pick up much in the way of points in that run as well and I think for us, I think fourth place actually right at this moment in time looks achievable. I, I think we're maybe a bit far off Hearts to claw back third place right now. I think we're nine points off them at the moment. It can easily swing, don't get me wrong, across the, the across the season. We'll, we'll have to play, if we get top six, we'll play Hearts twice between now and the end of the season. Anyway, we're obviously unbeaten against them this season. Maybe there's nothing to fear from our perspective against Hearts, but they seem consistently able to go and grind out results you know, like they did today at Livingston, for example Maybe something we're not quite capable of doing Just yet I'm not sure if nine points is too big a gap to claw back But I feel that United Being only four points ahead With the runner fixtures they've got coming up Feels to me that they're gettable And I think that Motherwell are in and around that Conversation as well But I think Motherwell are very, very inconsistent This season um, Says us as Aberdeen fans I mean, we're the epitome of inconsistency this year But I can't see Motherwell going on a run they might win a couple of games here, but then they'll lose a couple of games. Fourth, to me, looks really achievable right now, which would be, if we're all honest, where we were even last week, but then where we were before the run of fixtures in October. That would have just seemed, like I said earlier on, a pipe dream.
1: Yeah, a long way to go, but you're absolutely right. It's not quite the daft statement that it was a month ago or something like that. I mean, there there is actually some... There is the real scope for that. And actually, I mean, if you were sitting... There or thereabouts before the winter break. Still a long way to go and a lot of work to be done. We've mentioned many times that there's some some fairly heavy surgery required in the squad, mm-hmm. but you you're just in a better place to to deal with all that because pressure subsides a little bit. Everybody, even in the club, maybe a bit more confidence with the decisions they've made and the direction we're taking, mm-hmm. so that they can go and get the kind of player that they thought they wanted. You know, and, that, and it proves that they're on the right path you know everything just kind of starts to fall into shape whereas you go in on a pretty rotten run, a formula down at the bottom we were talking I think it was last week you maybe don't gamble and stick with what we're trying to, what it looks like we're trying to do as in do something different be a bit more adventurous you maybe stick with the old oh, well this guy knows the league he can yeah boot people about for 90 minutes you know well we'll get him and we we end up with some sort of mutant hybrid team where there's some guys in there that can play some football and some guys that we've because they've experienced it being stuffy, and then you don't really have a—you don't have one or the other. Yeah, you don't have any clear, real idea about what your team's meant to be. It's just a mishmash a mismatch of ideas, and that's arguably worse than having a clear plan. But it's not quite working. Certainly leaves us. I mean, if you look at our fixtures left of the winter break
0: now, which I think are St Johnston, Hibs away, Dundee at home, Rangers at home, Ross County away. Even if you take those and you go right, if we take, if we could get a win at St Johnston, a draw Easter Road beat Dundee, take a draw against Sevco, beat Ross County. We would go into that winter break and into that January transfer window in such a much more positive mindset as a club that the January window itself looks completely different to how it looks even a week ago, where you're like, shit, there might be not just major surgery, but you're almost something like firefight and almost something to think, just as you say, you almost rip up what you want to do and just bring in scrappers and grafters and guys who are going to be able to kind of get you out of a, a hole potentially versus maybe looking at some slightly more progressive footballers, I guess is what you'd be looking at and, and people to try and, you know, sort some of the issues that we do have, because there are still issues. I mean, let's not try and pretend otherwise. There, start, there still are some issues within the squad, whether we've got enough coverage in certain areas, whether we've got enough quality in certain parts of the the, the team, etc. But it becomes a very, very, very different January window and one that I
1: think allows us to do better business as well, hopefully. I would say so. But even just being that, you know, a more attractive proposition potentially for a player who's looking at it thinking, okay, I've done my research, new manager, things have been a little bit ropey. But you know what, there are thereabouts now. We might, be, you know, I might get the opportunity to qualify for Europe and play in that next season. That looks a little bit better than, do I want to join Aberdeen in a dogfight down at the bottom? Nah, no thanks. So I think, it, yeah, it just changes everything. And
0: a Scottish Cup potentially to win as well. Obviously, drawn at home against Edinburgh City for the first time we'll ever play at Edinburgh City in the fourth round of the Scottish Cup last week as well. So that's a home tie. It's lower league opposition. That will either go one way or the other. It's been a while since we've had a, a Cup upset at Pathology. So let's well, let's wait and see. Predictions though for Saturday at
1: McDermott Park. Again, it it's really difficult because uh, we've not seen enough of the good Aberdeen to be confident that it's, that it's here for any period of time. But... Wednesday was good when we thought Livingston would make it difficult for us. And to a degree, they did. But I think we we got through that using our football, you know, rather than relying on the descending off, because that happened later. Saturday, OK, St Mirren weren't necessarily coming up to make life difficult for us, and we, we took them to pieces. Saturday, St Johnstone are just going to... There's absolutely no danger they're going to come out and try and play, even though they need the points. Then they're just going to make it really difficult for us. But the form we're in, I'm gonna say that we will be able to to get through that. And I'm gonna say two one. Goal scorers for the Dons. It's difficult to look past Watkins or Ramirez at the moment, isn't it? Or hedges, I suppose. So I've got a few to choose from. I'm going to say I wonder who's I'm gonna say Ramirez. I feel like Johnny Hayes is due a goal. He
0: probably is, to be fair to him. He probably is. Not scored since the day of the season, I don't think, against United. So
1: yeah, so that's that's what I'm sticking with.
0: I am going for Glass has got us playing. The Dons are back. St. Johnston nil, Aberdeen three, Jet to open, scoring. And you know what? I'm going to put it out there as well. If Jet scores on Saturday, the opener, there are three of those Jet t shirts being bought for the ABZFP crew. Being bought by you, I add. Yeah. Fuck okay. it. I'll do it. It's Chris's present for you boys. And so Jet with the opener, Ramirez, Ryan Hedges. And suddenly we're all looking upwards. It's all gonna be gravy. Let's move on. And so that wraps up part one of this week's show. Join us after the break for our exclusive interview with lifelong Don's fan and current Scotland captain Rachel Corsi. And to play us out for the first half, here's the Virtues and their track architect. Check out the guys on Facebook at Virtues Band UK1 on a Spotify, and you can catch them at Unit 51 in Aberdeen this coming Friday, alongside Dude Trips. What a name van sleep and bliss and here are virtues with architect This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you by Eastside Photography. Thinking about a photo shoot for your family for the new year? Eastside Photography are pleased to offer listeners to the ABZ Football Podcast an exclusive Christmas offer on their top package, entitling you to a one-hour outdoor photo session, online gallery, personalised slideshow and a free A3 canvas print. This package is usually worth £330 and is available until the 25th of December for just 230 a whole £100 off the regular price. Simply use the code AFC1903 when making your booking. To find out more, contact kevin.buckin at eastsidephotography.co.uk. Welcome back to episode 21 of the ABZ Football Podcast. And we are delighted to continue our line of exclusive, in-depth interviews with Aberdeen personalities of past and present. And this week, it's a woman who has a famous family tie to the Dons, has been a lifelong fan of the club herself, and who has gone on to forge a fine career, not only in chartered accountancy, but in the game itself, from Aberdeen ladies to Kansas City via Glasgow, Seattle and Salt Lake City. To also lead her nation into a maiden European Championship and World Cup, it's Rachel Corsi. Rachel Corsi, welcome to the ABZ Football Podcast. How's it going?
3: Going well, thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: No, hey, the pleasure is all ours and it's the first time that we're able to say we can welcome the current Scotland captain on the show. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's a feather in the cap for us, if nothing else. And let's just go right back to the very start. I think it's the best way to always go with these things. Uh, born in Aberdeen. I'm not going to give. I'm not going to give the year away. Um, Please don't. But it's fair, <laughs> <laughs> fair. to say that the football always been your kind of first sporting love.
3: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, th- yeah. T- to be honest, for as long as I can remember, I think. Um, my dad sort of played and coached. Um, sort uh, just an amateur level, but a fairly decent amateur level. And um, my mum's had a season ticket at Tadry for. I've been saying twenty five years for long enough now, so it must be you near know, thirty five years. And so just who I was always surrounded by it. really loved playing at school and always been being a big Dons fan. And and it just it's just surrounded me. It's just been something that for a very long time is, is something that I love, you know, whether I'm sitting watching it or whether I'm just kicking around with friends or whether it's actually competitive level. So I've been very fortunate that it's, it's led to what it's led to, but it definitely started from just enjoyment and loving the sport.
2: Anything stand out as far as your earliest memories of playing?
3: not really but as I've got older I've actually started to um over the years at times you know being at various sort of youth football events and I've always kind of wondered being like I wonder what I was actually like when I was quite little because you realize I don't know, the level as kids grow up and I think I bet you I was absolutely rotten for a good number of years but in my head I was like yeah we were always good at school our school team was great and actually quite recently I was in touch with um one of my friends, I'll give him a shout out, Craig, um, who I grew up, you know, just after school, whatever else. And his dad had been looking out some old videos and there was some footage of us playing for the primary school team when we were probably seven. And we were playing at Hazelhead. I don't know why maybe we were older than seven, but it was 11 a side at Hazelhead, which seems absurd. And we just looked like these tiny humans just running around absolutely the hopelessly and if you got near the ball never mind kicked it it was quite exciting obviously from the video content so that's probably my not not a memory but that's what comes to mind when you ask that question we thought we were not bad but we were actually thinking
0: the classic kind of like swarm of bees all around the honeypot type thing yeah
3: yeah our kit was actually bright yellow and green so Excellent.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Nor- Norwich City represent. That's what it's all about. Yeah. There
2: we go.
3: Wasn't a great. It wasn't great viewing, but it was lovely to see. To just you know humbly remember the golden years. <laughs> <laughs> I was
2: going to say it cannot be any worse possibly than my nephew at the moment. <laughs> uh, that's
0: that's my son you're talking about. <laughs> yeah,
2: and I've 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 already like ruled out the prospects of like becoming his agent. <laughs> no, no, he'll he'll get there. He'll get there.
3: We all develop at different times.
2: He's only four, Gavin, come on. (laughs) Just saying, I'm just saying, I think Messi had probably got the hang of it by now.
1: You're very much from the school of uh, tough love, Gav, rather than encouragement and arm around the shoulder, I think.
2: But you want to be his co-agent, so you've know you got the best interest
1: here as well. Yeah, it was our get-rich-quick scheme, so maybe I should get on board with that, actually. So maybe bring it uh, back on topic and save Rachel with our woeful banter. In your household, I'm guessing it was going to be some feat for you to be anything other than an Aberdeen fan, given you were you know, Aberdeen-born and bred. You've mentioned your mum had the season ticket for a number of years, but possibly uh, also, in fact, more interestingly, your your great-grandfather on your mother's side was a legendary figure in the history of Aberdeen Football Club, Donald Coleman. Yep. Um, I'm guessing all of that just sets you up to be Aberdeen fan from day one, whether you like it or
3: not. Yeah, there wasn't really any way to avoid it. But I think it's something that has really been a big part of my love for football as I have grown up. And, um, you know, even now, I'd say when we're in amongst the Scotland team, I'd say that a lot of the girls don't actually have that. I wouldn't say many of them have a similar affiliation to a club and um, probably somebody there's a couple of Rangers fans, as you can imagine, but there's probably only a few that have a real allegiance to a club and I think for me that was also part of loving the game you know I did love to play obviously but there was a number of years I had a season ticket and you know I obviously never met my great-grandfather Um, he passed away before I think even my mom was born but he obviously is some has a legacy in our family and is someone who very much speak about fairly often and there's been a number of Um, accolades and moments of recognition over the last sort of few well two decades that that obviously mean a lot to our family and um it's night it's something I think about relatively often especially when you make personal milestones and you sort of just think about that family connection and um it's something I'm personally really proud of and it's also a really nice story and just to know that even I think there's still part of the brickwork behind the current dugout that he actually was what he physically built that so that the subs at that time and, and the management team had an area to, to sort of be in so there, there's little things like that that I think are little important little special things that make the football club more than just the team I support
0: absolutely and I guess for some of our younger listeners um <clears throat> Donald Coleman made over 300 appearances for Aberdeen between 1907 and 1920 picked up four caps for Scotland so two cap holders in the in the Corsi household and then became a coach of the Dons from uh, 1931 as you just just touched on there Rachel was famed as well for being the inventor of the kind of old school football dugout the one at at ground level and um, you just spoke about there actually I I took my son um, who we were just talking about a minute ago to the sign for the Dons event uh, a few weeks ago and even then, when you're doing the tour, the guys are still talking about it and explaining about um, about your great grandfather there. So his legacy is, you know, still lives on and will do forevermore there. And also, just to top it off, was posthumously inducted into the Don's Hall of Fame in 2018 as well, alongside that class that year that featured Ian Jess, Bobby Clark, and Peter Weir. So for younger listeners, that just you know really sets up there just the kind of the the, the level with which your great grandfather still held within the club. And you kind of talked about it earlier on that your mum's been a season ticket holder for years again we won't maybe go into the, the the exact number of years just to protect modesty but can you remember your very first visit to Petology?
3: Not not specifically I'm pretty sure it was in the Markland stand and was probably quite excited about getting a chocolate bar at halftime or whatever it was you know but I think it was I was probably young enough that Watching a whole game of football was maybe quite an ask, but I do. I'm pretty sure I went with a couple of friends and we were in the family stand. And I think there, there was, yeah, there's been some probably good moments over the years. I think at one, I was a mascot as well. I think at one point, I think it was a, well, no, it was a game against Tibbs and we won 1-0 and we scored. Two things I remember from that day. One, I remember Derek White was the captain at the time. They said to me, Are you fast? And obviously you're like, What, eight maybe? And you're like, Right you think yeah i'm really fast which obviously hey, you're not but you think you are so he's like we need to run really fast when we go so i've just shot out the tunnel <laughs> i like, like 10 yards ahead of everybody and i'm like oh too fast
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: so that was my first memory of that and then second memory is or not so much of a memory but we won 1-0 and we scored in the first minute but when you're them it was Winter time, so I'd come off the pitch, gone down like the side track into the tunnel to get, obviously, warm clothes on because you're in your little kit. Here that we've scored, come back out, sit in my seat, the game finishes 1-0, so I never actually saw the goal. So, But we did win. So
0: That's what's a lucky mascot, that's all you want.
3: Well, exactly. One for yeah, one. Yeah,
0: my abiding memory being the mascot is learning a whole bunch of new swear words from Willie Miller in the dressing room before the game. He was the manager at the time. It's fair to say that my little nine-year-old brain was just popping at that point.
3: <laughs> just asking what various words mean.
2: It was an interesting car journey home from my mum, I think. <laughs> so we'll have watched a lot of the same players. Uh, Rachel, who were your favourites or your first initial heroes when you were when you were growing up?
3: Tricky. Hmm. I can always, this wasn't my youngest memory, but I remember Kev McNaughton was definitely a player I, I loved. And then Robbie Winters is always a bit of a great, and, you know, since obviously appreciating Robbie Winters that then played alongside Suzanne Winters, who's his sister-in-law now. Um, those two are probably snapped Billy Dodds, there's been some good. I mean, Stavrum was pretty decent in his, in his big seasons when he probably scored a lot of goals for us. David Rousen, but midfield maestro.
0: I think that might be the first time David Rouson's been called that on this podcast.
3: <laughs> you know, fans. I don't
0: you know what I think actually in twenty episodes I don't we've ever spoken about David Rouson. So that's me being really harsh, but there we go. Yeah. Jess Jess would have been kicking about though.
3: So. Yeah, he was class.
0: Absolutely class.
3: There was someone that played that I can't think who it was, but they lived next door to one of my friends and again I was pretty young and I remember I think joe miller maybe i think it was joe miller and i knew he lived nice a few doors up from one of my friends that i was at school with and i was around for like a play day they just like rang the doorbell just asked if he, i just asked if he was in and they were like uh-huh and then i didn't know what else to say. <laughs> <laughs> i didn't really think it through i think i was like that's where he stays so i was like right let's ring the doorbell and then my mum shortly came to put sorry and then my mom came to pick me up and she was mortified and apparently we had to apologise.
0: <laughs> Joe Lewis used to live just around the corner from Graham, but he's had to move because Graham was doing the same as well with him. So
1: out <laughs> there with my goalie kit on, getting to sign my gloves a lot. But uh, the courts dealt with that quite <laughs> truthfully, so he moved. For the record, that was a joke. <laughs> well he did used to live around the corner, but the courts were not involved. Well, yeah, so once again, I'll maybe just try and get us back on track before I dig <laughs> myself deeper. Can you, or rather, what is your your favourite Aberdeen game that you can remember being at? doesn't necessarily need to be Pataudry.
3: It's always good whenever we play against the old firm and win, and I have probably have seen us do that quite a few times. I've seen us also on the other end of that quite a few times too, but when you win, that's always, you know, a buzz. The game I remember as one being one of the best is when we played Copenhagen, we won 4-0. I have two friends who are, um, one lives up in Bucky, and one lives in Aberdeen, massive Dons fans. Um, And we still have a group chat and every Saturday it's always kicking off. And normally because I'm in a different time zone, I'm never quite, I'm always like, oh yeah, the game's on and chat's always pretty decent in there. But they were both at the game with me that time. And I remember, I think when we went 3-0 up or when Jamie Smith scored, I think that was the third one, maybe the fourth. We were in that, we'd obviously been late to get tickets. So we were in that section, the South Stand that's uncovered. And that goal's gone in. I just remember my friend Jamie that we call her. Just she's about six foot two. She had both of us either side of like in each hand, and just propelled us about three four <laughs> rows further forward than we were actually sat. So fortunately, we're still here, and nobody was hurt. But that was a that was a great game.
1: Uh, yeah, that, that certainly was a great game. Um, and it's also my job to now flip this round and ask you what's the worst game that you've uh, you've ever been at again. doesn't have to be at Pataudry.
3: Worst game. There are a
1: few contenders, so you might need a minute.
3: <laughs> that's hard to put on the spot, but I I do know, I wasn't at this game, but the game we lost 9-0 oh. at Celtic Park. I played for Glasgow City at the time and... Again, there was a couple of players who were who were big Celtic fans. And we had a good it was a laugh. You know, we gave each other as much stick and it was it was a good time, no doubt. But that probably crossed the line for me that was not a good time at all. And that will be remembered sorely for those reasons.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair enough. There's defeat and then there's defeat, isn't there? And sometimes you can sort of deal with the stick, and other times you just want the ground to swallow you up for a day or a week or whatever. So, yeah, we can probably all relate to that one. But Graham, Graham, it was only three points. <laughs> yes, yes. Famous quote from a famous manager. Um, Before I go into a rant, I'll ask you your next question, <laughs> Rachel. So, Will, we will turn to your own playing career for a bit. And can you remember or pinpoint a moment where you thought you might have a shot at actually playing at uh, the top level of the game?
3: I mean, for me, honestly, it was pretty... I wouldn't say I fell into it because I I did work really hard but I think that was just because it was a little bit it was in my nature to sort of do that but I realistically almost got pushed certainly into like a pro pro level um I just wasn't something that was really visible whilst I you know and it wasn't it was something I loved doing it always been something that I did to kind of it, it was a hobby obviously and then it became a really big part of even just kind of school and university and professional exams it was that escape it was like a good balance um and the progression just sort of led on in the sense of I was never sort of pushed down a certain avenue I always I knew from an early age I was one of the best sort of locally for my age because you're identifying you go to sort of various kind of development squads and you can see there's like a pathway you're obviously in the Aberdeen region and then the regions kind of get as you get older, the regions become bigger and more selective. Who gets to progress? As you were kind of on that path, I was aware that I was obviously in an elite selection, but it was always just additional training. It was like, oh, I have this training now. It used to be on a Monday night, but now it's on a Wednesday night. And instead of it being down at Chris Anderson Stadium, it's up in Inverness or it's down in Perth or, you know. So you just kind of followed that progression. It was always a hobby. I always was going to go to university. I chose to, to go to Robert Gordon University because they had a good business school, and I wanted to study accounting and finance, so started that. And then I was still playing at youth national team level at that point. And then from there, it was just whilst I was there in my sort of third year playing under nineteens, a teammate at the time, Rusha Littlejohn, she played for Glasgow City, and I remember it was a it was probably the last summer camp that we had, and she said Glasgow City really want to sign you. Would you consider it? And that was sort of the catalyst for then that move. And at the time I was going into second year university. So it wasn't an overly straightforward decision, but I was like, well, you know, they were a little bit flexible. So that became that. And then part of my university degree, I got a placement in third year. So I was able to kind of align that with being in Glasgow. And then obviously playing at Glasgow City got a little bit more serious. And, you know, the progression of me being there from sort of 2008, 2008, 2008 through to, I think, the end of 2013 the club's growth was huge there I think Laura Montgomery and Caroline Stewart the two owners Laura still played but their ambitions for the club were to take it professional which to be honest if you'd said that to most of us at the time 2008 we would all been like right okay you know because it just wasn't something that really was seen as probably that feasible and maybe not overly lucrative and it was then I actually qualified as a chartered accountant and um, I worked for Ernst & Young, and the partner at the time, um, Jim Bishop, who I still keep in touch with now, um, pulled me aside one day, and I always remember panicking because he said to me, "At five o'clock, let's have a meeting." And like, there's not really any reason why a partner would want to have a meeting with somebody at my level. <laughs> I'd only been there for three years. I was, you know, it was I was doing fine, but I was thinking, "Oh dear, I've done something here that I don't know I've done, and I'm going to be in trouble." um, and he actually just wanted to have an open conversation about if I'd considered professional opportunities and he obviously had identified that there that might be something that could be possible um at which point that kind of aligned with there being a couple of opportunities and a, a door open for me to go to North county and at the time they were in the top division of the English league and it felt like a a good sort of step um and so that that pretty much was how it happened and I think, Had we not had that conversation, I think my career would have played out obviously differently. Um, Who knows if I might have at a different time ended up taking on a different, you know, path and adventure outside of Scotland. But I was 23 at that point in time and it wasn't necessarily something that was was at the front of my mind because I'd always just thought, you know, academic stuff probably came first up to that point. But I think it was a good transition moment in that I probably reached a good point in the academic path that if I'd continued, I would have probably got pushed into a business route that might have made playing you know sport at a higher level increasingly more difficult as you became more senior in, in that capacity as well.'
2: Let's take a little step back there. So you started out with Aberdeen Ladies before making the move to Glasgow City in 2008. and it's with Glasgow that you made the move back towards the center of defense. How did that come about Um, as your early career had seen you play really more as a midfielder or more like a winger type?
3: Yeah, I mean, definitely wasn't by choice. (laughs) (laughs) I actually had been injured. um, I'd just moved to Glasgow City. I'd been playing centre mid and yeah, I'd played sort of in wider areas for Aberdeen and also the the youth national teams. And um, I went to Glasgow City at the time and we'd gone away for Champions League and I'd got injured in one of the in like the second game maybe. Um, It wasn't that serious, but it was enough that I couldn't play. So then we were building up to sort of the third group game and I was able to do a little bit of training, but he was like, I need you to, we were doing a say, I think it was sort of like a, a phase to goal type drill and he just needed a defender to basically go and stand in an area a little bit passively, but just to try and make sort of the run for the forward a little bit more realistic and under a little bit more pressure so stupidly I went in and seemingly did too good a job at most of the balls that came in and he was like I'm not sure you're going to get a game for us in midfield um and we need someone at centre-back and I think you maybe have the attributes to try there and that basically was it and that was the turning point um and to be fair it's worked out quite well for me so I should be grateful for that and I am but I I definitely miss the the days of being a little further forward at, at times and maybe getting involved a little more higher up the field. You
1: maybe just talk to us about what sort of grounding experience playing for Glasgow City gave you. Now I'm just looking at uh, what you actually accomplished when you were there. Six league titles, four Scottish Women's Cups and three SWPL Cups, as well as getting regular tastes of European football. I'm just thinking in terms of the way the the game was at that time in this country, that's probably the best place you could have been
3: you know, get that sort of wealth of experience. Does that just really sort of set you up going forward? Without a doubt. And still, you know, at the time it was Eddie Black who was the head coach. Um, And it was a combination of him, but also the kind of the club's ambitions. I think, you know, everyone else in the Premier League was probably only training once a week, some maybe twice. And we were four nights and three mornings. Um, Or that, it progressed that. Obviously it didn't just overnight become that. Um, But it was... It was probably the first time I had been seriously coached a lot of the fundamentals in the game, which when you think about that compared to just how, you know, the boys' youth development was at the time to be sort of 17, 18, to be getting your first real exposure of of like basic principles of the game, you know, taking, just doing a passing pattern and understanding sort of what side of the cone you move to, like double movement, take the ball on the right foot, when to open up, when way to pass how to like draw a defender in to then explode, exploit the gap in behind like those things are quite simple but actually teaching them and and doing it within drills had never really been something that I that had been incorporated into the work I was doing maybe it had been subconsciously but never intentionally taught and I think still to this day I use some of the things that I learned at that time in Glasgow City it still you know helps our teammates at different clubs I've been at, just try and understand the small basics that at the end of the day, the top teams are the best at. And that's what are the become often the fine margins between those teams and, their, and the rest.
0: And it's it's during your spell with Glasgow City that you get your first call up and first caps for Scotland, um, starting in a, a 2-0 defeat to France at the 2009 uh, Cyprus Cup. And we'll talk about the national team later on in, in more detail, but just for now... Can you kind of just put into words like the kind of feeling about being selected for for your national team at the at the senior level and how that felt just to get to make your debut?
3: Yeah, I mean obviously getting my debut was probably the most surreal moment. I think being selected I felt I look back sometimes and I'm like wow you a, a bit much when you were younger. I, th- I think I think there was part of me that thought the transition from sort of under 19s being at Glasgow City into the senior squad would would be easier than what perhaps it was i think you know quite naturally naturally when you of at that age you have like a little bit of an ignorant an ignorance but it comes across a little bit as confidence and there's a lot of good that comes from that because you do need to have an element of confidence to be able to step on the field for your country and and be at that level and you know there's no concessions you don't just get an opportunity because they're trying to give people an opportunity you get an opportunity because they think you're good enough to be there so there is good and bad but I remember being picked and almost feeling like a little bit of relief that I was getting a chance, which is in, insanity. Um, and then anyway, once we got there, I, start, I think quite quickly being there, the nerves and the realization of what an achievement that was kind of hit. And, um, and that's kind of still how it feels, not maybe quite as intensely <laughs> as that very first camp, but now there's like, there's still this like pressure to be like, I, I want to be selected. You know, I, I just, for perspective i um pulled a lower ab muscle just in the final game of our club season just a few weeks ago i don't know like i I need to be available i need to be available i I don't want to miss an opportunity and i don't want to have anything that's a reason to not be selected um so it still feels like that to this day but the first cap was something that was really special it's probably the first opportunity i'd been away with the national team and to start that opening game i think was um Something that was a huge moment for me, and really obviously proud of it, and disappointed that we lost. But at the time, I think France were probably top three in the world for, in terms of international sides, so it was a really tough one too to get to get off the mark with. And yeah, absolutely loved it, and still love it.
0: That's great to hear, though. I mean, you're what 127 caps in now, that the hunger is still there the same way that you were on cap one. Um, that's quite remarkable, actually, to be to be honest.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's just. There, there's no other feeling I think you have some control over your your club career to, to a degree you, you probably don't really but you do have have more kind of you know you can have a little more input on on where that maybe takes you but to play for your country is something that you know someone else decides that and it's based on not just net there's a big portion is performance but it's everything else that goes with it you know your attitude and your values and the other bits and pieces that all come together you know it's you need to be more than just a top player to to be an international player
2: going back to the club career as you made reference to earlier your stay with glasgow city ends uh january 2014 and you make the move south to knots county who again as you mentioned were playing in the top flight of english football at the time we're of the understanding that there was interest in yourself from both liverpool and man city at the times what was it that attracted you to make the move to to Knott's County?
3: I think the interest in those two other clubs maybe wasn't quite as um, forthcoming as it was from Knott's County and I, I'd gone down to visit the club Rick Passmore, the manager at the time was he was a character he, he had a lot of energy and I, I remember just feeling like it felt like a good a good club that I want to be a part of. There were another a number of players at the time who'd just gone there who were playing regularly for England, um, Ellen White Carly Telford And I I really thoroughly enjoyed my time there. I think it was at a time when the English league was probably still developing quite a lot. And so it was probably, it was a move from Glasgow City that I don't think was a big step in terms of professionalism, but it was a totally different move in terms of, for me, just leaving home and choosing to be like, this is your job. Like your job is to be a footballer. Um, And I actually had quite a hard time with that just because I'd gone from my life starting at, 5.30 in the morning and finishing at 10 pm or 11 pm at night, and doing that day after day because I had to train in the morning, go to work all day, train at night. The nights that we, I think Tuesday night, we didn't have training, so I studied on a Tuesday night. Saturday, we didn't have training, so I did the food shop in the morning, studied Saturday afternoon. Sunday was games, so it'd gone from that absolutely relentless routine to not actually ever thinking about how I was feeling or you know, do I need a rest because it was just every minute of every day was full, so you just had to, to do. There was nothing else for it. To then being like, right, well, you've traded in the morning and then you just go home. And that, I, so a lot of people maybe think that's hard. You know, they don't really get it. And I understand why people don't understand it. But for me, that was really challenging at the start. But either way, I I had such a great time. I lived with Carly and a couple of others. And um, we just, the people who are just good energy are people who you'll remember for the rest of your lives and they're the people who make probably the biggest influence on your career and there's so many good memories from that time and I think that it really opened my eyes to so many different things about myself and about the opportunities that were out there and and kind of the ambitions that then I started to perhaps think about and what I did want to go on and achieve.
1: Yeah so following on from that um, that particular season's pretty successful for you you step in to become the captain and you end the season being named as the joint managers player of the year with Jess Clark and you also picked up the Sporters Player of the Season Award uh, as well. Uh, and then you decide to call time on life in Nottingham after one season and move to Seattle Reign ahead of the 2015 NWSL season. How did the move to Seattle come about? And did you need a great deal of convincing to head to the west coast of America, you know, based on the fact that your career to date had been in Scotland uh, and then and then England, so all, all in UK and not too far from home?
3: Yeah, um, it, it was a It was a huge move, um, and I think it was difficult to leave because I had had such a great first year in England, and we had a close knit group of players who were all still there. Leanne Crichton I think, had just had either just signed or I knew she was about to sign, and we obviously are close friends and spent time living together in Glasgow and played together the national team. And it was it was a hard decision from that point of view because you know your heart is saying this has become a little bit of a family for you. Um, however, the NWSL then, and I still believe now, although a lot of people would debate you about that, um, is, a, is the best league in the world. It's certainly one of the best leagues in the world. And the opportunity to go there is something that doesn't come about for a lot of players. Um, they have quite strict rules. They were even stricter back then, but about the number of international players that can come and um, opportunities of like that are very difficult to come around. So... At the time, Kim Little was there too, who obviously have, that actually was a part of our friendship, probably becoming even closer, us both being over in the States. But I knew she was there, the head coach at the time, Laura Harvey, who's now come back there. um, She was English, had had obviously come from Arsenal. So I knew there was a little bit of, I I suppose familiarity is the best word. And even though it wasn't actually really, (laughs) but um, yeah, it was a huge a huge step and one that to be honest has been one of the best decisions because I've absolutely loved my time in the US and again the, the biggest influence has been just understanding yourself as a person the things you can achieve meeting people from all different cultures all around the world some of the best players in the world players who've won world cups olympic gold medals the amount of people who have crossed paths with not even just Um, footballers but uh, other sports as well I think it's I've had such an incredible experience that you know it it's afforded me seven years that have been absolutely amazing
0: and of course Seattle rain is an amazing pun on the fact that it's incredibly wet in the west coast of America
3: (laughs) do you know what it definitely rains more in Kansas City than it did in Seattle 100% and everyone says that to me everyone's like oh it rains all the time there and I'd say if you go in November yeah there's gonna be a lot of rain But if you go in the summer, it's the spring and summer. It's worth a visit.
0: Did you ever take a trip to Aberdeen, Washington, just for the sake of it?
3: (laughs) I didn't, but I did. I did drive past it quite a few times and every time probably went, oh, Aberdeen. There we go.
0: That's all we want. That's it. (laughs) Um, As it is, when you join Seattle, it's a pretty stacked, I'm going to use the American terminology here, roster that you join in Seattle with Lexa Hope Solo, uh, Megan Rapino. And you just mentioned Kim Little, um, already already at the club. Did that make settling into life in the US easier, kind of joining a dressing room that had just that much talent in it already?
3: No, I wouldn't have necessarily, not necessarily said that. I think, to me, obviously playing, especially Hope, who's a goalkeeper, who, as a centre-back, there's so much work that you know requires both of you to work together, same, and obviously with the rest of the back line. Um, Hope is one of the players who I have probably up there with the most respect. Respect for obviously because of what she's achieved. I mean, undoubtedly one of, if not the best goalkeepers ever. Um, and I'll never forget the day we met. She's actually similar height to me. When you see her in goals, you think she's like six foot four or something because she just has such a presence that you know. Every so often, you come across these athletes who just have a different presence, and you just can tell that they they are a champion in what they do. Um, but what one thing she did from the very start is she worked so diligently with every single person, especially the starting back four, to not just tell people what to do, but to understand how people played so that collectively we could understand the best to get, how to get the best out of each other. And I've never come across another goalkeeper who has spent that much time individually working with the people all around her to make them be the best they can be. So she can also be the best she can be so that collectively we can be as good as we can be. And I think, you know, certainly in the first year I was there, the, the record that we had, the goals we conceded probably spoke for itself. I think um, we conceded the fewest goals. I think we won the Shield that year, which means we're in the league and then lost out in the championship game at the very end. But she, she was incredible to play alongside. It. It's something that is a memory that you know, for me is a highlight in my career. Um, and obviously Megan is, um, I think that first year she just came back from injury. So um, she wasn't fully in training. And I think, you know, the things she's gone on to do more recently, I think she, her profile has just shot up and, you know, she's obviously um, involved in in a lot of things, trying to help in as many different things as she can. And she's a big advocate for, you know, equality in the women's game all around. So again, just a cool experience to play with these players that see things slightly differently and just in America they see women's sport as a whole differently so for me even that was a learning curve you know to go to somewhere where they actually give their athletes a true platform and they celebrate their athletes in a different way than I think we've ever known um you know even for any sport male or female here um the U.S. just have their own way to do a lot of things so and that was really cool too and it wasn't just about those big names I think we had an amazing team Keelan Winters was the captain at the time and She's a youth U.S. national team player. I think she was at a couple of senior squad training camps, but she's someone who is is a teammate that I always credit um, a lot of just respect to, but also the enjoyment I had in that first year, you know, to lead that group. Had a lot of characters, a lot of huge, big names. She had a humbleness and awareness for absolutely everybody from, you know, not just the players, but staff, the office staff incredible human being and someone that, again just another pivotal person in your journey where you're like yeah that's someone who I want to make sure I'm in contact with
1: for a long time it's really really useful insights into the mechanics of you know it's not just you turn up you train you play the levels that I suppose the top players go to to make sure that you get that little because you know incremental gains. That the, other, you know, that the opposition don't have. So it's really fascinating to, to hear um, how that all plays out. So we focus on your first season in the US. You racked up 16 appearances and a couple of goals in the regular season um, as the rain topped the standings. And you also appeared in both playoff games, which you mentioned too, with Seattle, unfortunately, coming up um, short, losing 1-0 to Kansas City in the final. Looking back on that season, were you satisfied with the first season, as in had you set yourself personal goals and you could look back and think yeah I achieved them or were you just sort of taking it as it comes and then you get a chance to have a little bit of rest at the end and sort of reflect back on what you've accomplished Um,
3: I remember the conversations at the start with Harvest and you know I was definitely I was definitely signed as probably third choice centre back Um, I remember just thinking I just need I just need an opportunity like just go and just work hard and earn yourself an opportunity so I remember having quite an open-minded mindset going into the transition, and um, which probably took a little bit of pressure off me just knowing that it was on me to ensure that I conducted myself in a manner that I know is the way I wanted to do that. And, um, you know, you always feel like you'll get a chance. Like, you'll definitely get a chance. You know, someone will get... You want someone to get injured, but likelihood is there will be an opportunity where they're like, yeah, we're going to put you in this game. Um, so I think I... Was a sub the first game, and possibly was a sub the second one too. And then I remember there one of those early on games I came off the bench, and after that I started. I think the rest of the games throughout the season that I was available for. Um, so for me, like that was an incredible. That was an incredible first year. I think it was I achieved more than I thought I possibly would. Um, but I always had that belief that you know if if you do get a chance, then you just have to make sure that you find the reason to keep yourself in the running, you know, and whether that meant you, you would go on and start the next game, not necessarily, but you know, you, you put yourself a little closer to maybe getting the chance to start. And, and obviously it, it worked out.
2: After the season ends and obviously the schedule in America is different than it is in the UK. So you head back on loan to Glasgow city and we've seen, you know, the likes of Beckham, Dempsey, Donovan making the same moves. Was that just a case of heading home for a bit and keep your match fitness ticking over?
3: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think I knew Glasgow City were in Champions League again. I think they actually had Chelsea that year, so um, that was also that. You know, those were two games that I was like huge opportunity. Champions League, like, again a competition. I would, I'd love to play in again. I'd love to get that opportunity too. That um, just the season was quite short in the US at that time. They've sort of expanded it out as the years have continued. Um, but there was an opportunity for me to sign in the window that meant. I wouldn't jeopardize sort of the start of the following year, so it made sense to make sure I played. And there was probably still national team games at the end of that year too, so it was a good transition to move closer to home and then also just keep that sharpness up. And being in and around a football environment is probably the best way to do that, especially with international fixtures.
0: And so the kind of next campaign for Seattle's a bit of a flatter one. Um, the team kind of failed to finish in the playoff spots, but you maintain your your spot in the starting lineup um, most weeks, and it's the same case again in 2017 um also this season with the likes of Kim Little having departed again Seattle just missed out in the playoff spots and after that the season finishes decisions made for for your contract at Seattle not to be extended and you depart they having made 44 appearances um but it's not long until then you're picked up by the Utah Royals a new NWSL side at the time there's obviously a marked difference between Utah and Seattle as kind of it just in terms of makeup of city. Etc., did you kind of notice that big difference between the two, and did that take a bit of time to kind of get used to?
3: Uh, it's definitely noticeable. Um, the US is quite like that, though. I think wherever you are, um, you know, each state and um, each not necessarily as specific as states, but there is a diverse you know culture across the whole country. And um, Seattle was a very not just in terms of cultural people, but Seattle is a massive city, like huge. And it's hustle and bustle. There's a lot of big companies um, have their headquarters there. And so it's just, it's almost overpopulated. And there's just, it's just vibrant. It's a young people city. There's, um, it's fairly wealthy. Um, And I absolutely loved it. I lived with the host family. And so it was really well looked after. And you kind of, from the get-go, I knew all sort of the spots to go to. And I I really enjoyed my time there. And then the Utah move, yeah, it was, It was a totally different opportunity. I think what the club was doing there, they were really putting the women's game um, paralleled with their their men's team at Seattle Reign. We weren't connected with Seattle Sounders, um, whereas the Royals were, you know, directly aligned with Real Salt Lake. And they ultimately just built facilities on one side of their stadium that mirrored the other side where the men's sort of home dressing room and, recovery area and gym space was they just absolutely mirrored that and made it the women's section which almost made ours nicer because ours was essentially brand new um and so the experience there from a football perspective was absolutely incredible um and culturally then as a city it is very different um there's obviously a big mormon population across all of utah um but salt lake city itself is a lot more diverse and like most cities um but again, it's much smaller and, you know, things move at a slower pace, which I think again was good for me. You know, I enjoyed the busyness of Seattle, but it was almost a nice, a nice change to then go somewhere else. And I think also just the surroundings, there's a lot of national parks, a lot of outdoors, um, hikes and, and just good, just good, enjoyable things to do. Again, just explore. I think, you know, if you're going to travel around the world for your for your job, then it's absolutely essential that you make the most of different places that you end up.
1: So considering Utah were a startup club, can you maybe just let us know what's that actually like in that you're part of a club that's just starting up, but you're you're also expected to be able to compete at the top flight as well. So there's quite a lot going on there that you maybe hadn't had in your career to date.
3: Yeah, it's... It is difficult and there's definitely, there's almost like a stubbornness about you where you're like, yeah, we can compete. We can definitely compete. But then there's also another part of you where you realize the rationale is that it might take some time for us to find exactly, you know, who we are and how we're going to play and how we're going to make sure we are successful. And that often does take a few more years. It's not possible to have, you know, I think the team we had in that first year that I was there was, team that was more than capable of making the playoffs and we obviously just felt short which which did feel like a disappointment um that ultimately wasn't what we aimed to do so there's some kind of rationalization of yeah well a realization we were in our first year maybe that was a big you know goal to set for us but it was one we felt we could achieve so that was disappointing um and then obviously Happened again the following year, and again we were agonisingly short, and that's tough because naturally you're a competitor. I mean, I think all the players that play at top level in the US are, you know, incredibly competitive. <laughs> Hate just losing five v five in training. Literally, I think that dictates how good the rest of the day you have. So, you know, I think those seasons there was some big kind of learnings, and that's also good. Um. You know you need those moments in your career and unfortunately you know and and then the third season I think it was the dreaded COVID year and that just almost made it just its own its own thing you know I think again we were grateful we could just play I think we're the well I know we were the first professional sport to get back playing in the US which um was you know credit to all the clubs and players and league staff that made sure that was possible. Um, and that's obviously led us on to now.
0: Yeah, I mean, you kind of touched on it there. Obviously, the, the, the first two seasons at Utah are successful, I guess, in one way for a start-up. But I guess when you come so close as well to the playoffs, et cetera, it becomes quite disappointing. Um, period in season, And you break up these campaigns as well with uh, loan moves at, at Canberra, United as well. Again, a similar idea to Glasgow, I assume, in just terms of ticking over and, and, and everything there. Um, and as you just touched on, things obviously drastically change come 2020 um the nwsl season's cancelled due to covid um although you end up being able to make a, a loan move to birmingham in, in august of that year and then in december 2020 though news appears that kansas have been approved as an expansion team um they're going to pick up the players and other assets that utah um held that were in the process of being wound up as a player <laughs> how mad is it to hear that basically your contract and and you being treated as an asset here in this in this world are basically being picked up and told right you now belong to kansas city uh, a city which is a thousand miles away from utah in the midwest and this is all happening in the middle of a global pandemic
3: yeah and i think i think a few things i think firstly i'm glad i'd been in the us for sort of six years at that point and i'd learned the system yeah um, and I also think I was grateful that I'd had one one difficult sort of move already. You know, the transition from Seattle to Utah was, um, was tough because it wasn't my choice. Um, and I just actually, that transition had happened off the back of a surgery that we didn't quite know how successful it was going to be. I was still rehabbing. I didn't have a club. And, you know, I'd had that adversity there. So in some, in some way, I was a little bit primed for just what was going to lie ahead. But I do remember, yeah, I was on loan when it all kind of happened. So I was in Birmingham. I actually remember the first time I met the owners and the new head coach, we had a Zoom call planned. And it was for the day that Birmingham were playing Arsenal. And I was going for dinner with um, Kim Little after the game at her house. And so the first time I met the owners and the manager, Hugh Williams, was literally sitting in Kim Little's living room, (laughs) on the zoom call with these people I didn't know who now were going to be the people that looked after me for the next hour long. Um, and it is quite surreal. And obviously you kind of made a home in Utah. I'd been there for three years. I had a lot, I'd left a lot of things there because obviously when I'd left and, you know, late, I think I left at the end of July to go home to play on loan at the end of the challenge cup. So most of my things were in my apartment in Utah. And so there's just like so many things constantly coming into your mind and you're trying to to then also remember, well, I'm in Birmingham right now and try to play for them. So everything will be fine. There's procedures in place. I'm sure it all work out. Um and it, it kind of does. There's some bumps along the way. And of course there is because they're moving they basically had two and a half months to move an entire football club. Yeah. Not literally the bricks and the cement, but an entire football club to yeah, a whole different part of the country. So it, it's there's no other way to describe it other than the wild, but it's the U S sports system. And, um, you, you kind of just stick in day at a time. Things progress, various phone calls. You figure out where you're going to live next. You figure out how you're going to get there. You figure out how your stuff's going to move from Salt Lake to Kansas city. And, um, you know, eventually everything comes together and it, and it does work.
2: With that being said, all things considering how is life in Kansas? So? <laughs>
3: yeah, it's it's different too. Again, it's another new city. It's a fun, it's a fun city. It's quite young. I think there's three universities that are very close to us, which keeps it sort of a young, a young, vibrant place. And again, it's relatively small, I think, in terms of other big cities in in the States. So it's, it's just another experience. And, um, you know, I enjoyed my first year, I think obviously disappointing in terms of results, but again, it's this time we're starting from scratch and again you know it was a rush for the owners it it was something that they took on knowing that it might be a little soon but at that point in time it was the best option for the club to to try and make the transition there so um it's exciting I think the owners have huge ambitions for the team and and that's cool to be a part of you know even though I'm, I'm aging in years there's there's a nice feeling about knowing you're part of a project that has real, real big ambitions to be a club that wants to be one of the best in the world. And, and that, not just in terms of on the pitch, they want the best facilities, they want the best training facilities. They want the best fans. They they want this to be something that other clubs go and mirror because it's the gold standard.
1: Yeah. I see um, they've announced that there's going to be a new stadium. So it does look like they're, they're certainly doing business. So not to put words into your mouth, but it's probably fair to say that aspirations for the next campaign are to just really push on and try and establish the
3: club, and like you said, it's a it's a project. But they've got big ideas. We we definitely do need to push on. I think we 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 came last this season, and I think it was a tough. I think there was a harsh reflection. There was definitely um, a number of games where we we had more more quality than perhaps what we got out of those those games. But we do need to push on. I think you know, there's two new teams coming into the league again this year. So I think all teams are expecting um, some roster changes um, if we stick with the roster word. Um, So I think there's a lot to look forward to and definitely in terms of just facilities, I think our training facilities should be at least ready for us to to be able to move into in the early part of next year. And um, the stadium's really exciting. and, And meanwhile, we're going to transition to using sporting kansas city stadium which i think it's a sports it's a very big sporting city you obviously have the chiefs the royals um and then the mls team too and and that's that's also fun too i think the u.s fans do it differently as well and and i've enjoyed experiencing that too we probably
0: can't talk about um football in the states without kind of touching upon the fact that obviously the nws was kind of sorry the nwsl was you know, rocked quite significantly through the course of 2021 um, with all the allegations of, you know, sexual misconduct, inappropriate, homophobic comdu- comments, etc., amongst a whole bunch of other questionable behaviour that um, was brought to light through a... I don't want to use amazing because it sounds like the wrong word to use, but an amazing piece of investigative journalism through the Athletic. And it's seen the termination of, you know, one head coach's contract, the resignation of the league's commissioner one owner having to resign as CEO of their club and, and the opening of several different investigations, which I think are still ongoing. Mm-hmm. It's it's not something that's been reported hugely on on this side of, of, of the Atlantic. And are you able just to give us a little bit of insight into just what the atmosphere was like around kind of your own club um, at Kansas City and, and I guess the league as a whole, just when all of these revelations were coming out and it just felt like they were constant as well for a period of of, of days and weeks, I guess.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it is tough to put into words how, how it felt, but the, you know, emotional and sad, I think are, it was very real. Um, a lot of players, you know, whether they had personal experience with abuse prior, whether they'd been abused by the, the names of people who were coming out in a lot of these investigations and in these you know, resignations, um, whether you were just friends of those um, teammates who had been suffering, whether you were also then part of a club while those people had suffered. Some people had a lot of guilt about that because, you know, it was, it it affected people in, in such a more complex and bigger way, I think, than anyone could have imagined. And it honestly was just horrible and sad. But as you say, it was equally, it's it's something that needed to happen because there isn't a place for that, not in sport. I mean, there isn't a place for it in society. Yeah. And um, we understand that it does exist in society. It's not something that's limited to sport. It exists everywhere. And the bravery of it, certain individuals to come forward, but then also I think the collectiveness of all the players across the league was one of the strongest... Um, And almost one of the things that I think was, you know, salvation for almost everybody, because we realized the strength in being together in this and supporting individuals who'd come forward, but also maybe individuals who hadn't felt they could speak up, but were still suffering in silence. And to also know collectively we will push for change. And whilst we're doing this, we're going to make sure we actually do it across the board because we don't want this to be something that then next year there's another situation or two years down the line, there's someone who's been hired and there's a, a backstory to them. Um, it just shouldn't exist. And it, it it brought a lot of awareness. I think certainly it of course was a strong media story in the U S and I think ex- extended far beyond just sport. Um, and I'm really glad that it did, even though it wasn't hugely you know, spoken about or, or covered back here in the UK, it was it definitely reached here. Um, it definitely reached other parts of the world. And I think that can only be be a good thing because I think, you know, of of course we know this exists in other in other places. Um, and we want to be something that can be seen as a, a strength and showing the power in, in not accepting that behaviour. And, you know, it's, it's about making change now for the better to make sure we can do that. And I think there's a long journey in that to go. Um, there's a lot of education that's needed in many different ways. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, systems and structures that need to be looked at to make sure that there is, you know, steps in place that we make sure that, you know, at the end of the day and, and what we do, we consider ourselves to be elite athletes playing in one of the most, you know, lucrative and exciting leagues in the world if nothing else we should have the best people in place anyway so we need to make sure there's procedures in place to make sure that's that's what happens let alone have people who have a history of you know mistreatment and and abuse so it it was a heavy time I'm um I'm involved with players association quite heavily so my exposure exposure to everything that happened the number of phone calls I was on um different conversations that needed to be had with different people it it was a learning curve for me too. I think, you know, you just, you realize the extent of it and you realize the importance and definitely make, taking a stand and and making change. And often we're all a bit reluctant to change at times and we're all probably have moments where we go, well, I don't know if I feel comfortable speaking about this, but that's almost the biggest part. You know, we have to be uncomfortable with having these conversations to know that, you know, we, we need good people.
0: You've kind of preempted, I guess, my follow-up questions to that a little bit um it was just to say i mean and you touched on it there there's obviously a long long way to go in terms of sorting out mm-hmm. these types of issues not just in the american league and as you touched on not just in football you know across society more generally um there's bound to be you know similar matters which have not been reported going on elsewhere but are you just on a kind of personal level heartened or more hopeful that Having seen the fallout from what's happened in in the American League, that it might prompt more people to to come forward elsewhere to try and kind of fight and resolve, you know, where possible some of these kind of systemic issues where they exist.
3: I hope so. I really hope so, and I, and I think it will because even if we had national team camp just shortly after that, you know, the the Paul Riley story initially ran, they'd like seen it, but they'd almost were a bit like, oh, I'm a bit, I'm, I'm a bit unsure. Really, I'm not sure what's that like. What's going on? And I think, you know, even just those conversations I was having was having with the girls here who a number of players are experienced players, have played across many clubs all around the world too. You know, you start to realise that it sometimes these conversations are really important to just allow people to feel they can talk about them. We didn't, and I don't mean talk about instances of where people felt they were abused, but just talking about just, well, what is abuse? Like, what does emotional abuse look like? What, you know, when we think of abuse, it, it's quite clear when someone physically hits you or it's quite clear when someone sexually assaults you in quite an aggressive manner but that's not often how these things happen um and often they're very subtle and certain certain people who who act in a certain way they're very smart in how they hide some of these behaviors to kind of make make their behavior actually become something that they get away with so we even had some really good conversations there, and I think a number of players went back to their clubs and, and hopefully continued those conversations because I think feeling that you can talk about it is important um, because ultimately, otherwise, these things remain hidden, and, um, and that's just enabling and allowing it even more.
2: Yeah, well, we thank you for your perspective there. Let's move on and talk about your time with the Scottish national team. You're wearing the shirt there. We can see it now. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about it. <laughs> At the time of recording, as Gary mentioned, you've picked up a pretty remarkable 127 caps with 18 goals for the national team and led the squad as captain into both the 2017 European Championships and the 2019 World Cup, representing the first time Scotland had qualified for these major tournaments. Can you talk us through your own mindset about what a captain should bring to the table and just how proud a moment was it for you to be the captain leading the squad into those two major tournaments?
3: Um. Firstly, Gemma was the ca- Gemma. Fee was the captain for the Euros. Um. So, I definitely can't take don't want to take credit for her.
2: But that's more of Gary's fake news there. <laughs>
3: um. To, okay. So that was the same question first. I think obviously it was incredible to to leave Scotland out of the first ever World Cup. I think that's it's difficult to put into words because it's just. A unique experience that so few people will ever get to do and playing for your country is the biggest honor the greatest achievement the absolute best feeling you know now we get to play at Hamden it's on it it's incredible and it's hard to have words because I feel all these words you might associate with other experiences but it's honestly just the best thing ever um and in terms of just what I think about being a captain and a leader I think for me I don't think it necessarily changes. Um, I don't think you should change who you are. I think you know to to wear the armband and to be given that role is based on the behaviours that you consistently show, and it's about sort of showing them consistently. And um, you know, often the most important times for that are when you face adversity, because I think we all, you know, everyone likes to think that they can have the skills that are maybe required. You know, you put others first. Um, you make sure you're someone that's respectful. You make sure you you do all the small things right. You you know, I think we all want to do that, but it's not as easy when you're maybe challenged or you maybe, you know, you have a choice to make and it, it can be easier to probably put yourself first at times. So I think that's how I've always been. I think it, the team always comes before you as an individual and um, I always just want to be a good example. You know, I, I still always like to make sure at the end of the session, if there's any loose balls around, I always go around the whole pitch and just, and collect all the walls I I just like to do it I like to make sure that you know we don't leave jumpers or water bottles around after us and um I always clean my boots every single day which some people especially here um take the piss out of me a little bit but it's just one of those things that I'm like OCD about and i was like why would you not clean your boots I'd never wear I'd never walk about in dirty trainers or dirty shoes and I need clean boots um, which is pretty annoying when you play in November in Scotland because they're at <laughs> out there every single training session. But I clean them. Even even today, I cleaned um, Jen Beatty and Chloe Arthur's because they put theirs on the rack and they were minging. And I was like, I can't I can't walk past those and not put them <laughs> off. Um, and so I think it's just little things like that. I think I I like to just be reliable and I like to just put all all the girls first, I like to make sure everyone's. Okay. And there's different ways to do that. You know, it's not always just about asking everyone every day how you are. Um, you always know there's certain people who you're closer with than others. And sometimes you know how people are based on, you know, having conversations with other people. Um, I, I just think it's, that's probably how I, how I look at it. And it's it's got to be something that you truly do live by. It can't just be you turn up to camp and all of a sudden you have to try and be a different person or you turn up to club training and you try and be a different person. It You have to live and breathe it. So if
1: we if we go back to the, or so continue on the theme of the World Cup, so the game that is probably the most memorable is the final group game against Argentina. So Scotland were leading 3-0 on 70 minutes before Argentina scored three, including a retaking penalty three minutes into injury time. You maybe just talk us through that game and what was going through your mind in the final 20 minutes. I have an idea, but I'll let you use your words.
3: Oh, it was grim. Um... Yeah, I think to be honest, that in in the game itself, I actually felt good up until probably the last five. Um, the most vivid part is I remember we made a double substitution, and I can remember I was playing right centre back, and we were changing the right back and the right midfielder, and they had a free kick on that side. So I'm thinking okay, I'm a bit exposed here until the girls get on. And the next minute, the ref blew the, a whistle to let the whistle to let the free kick be taken, and I was thinking like that's wild for one but you know you're just like right here we go crack like play on Um, and then obviously the events happened penalty eventually got given away um and then there was the retake and I still remember at 3-3 I remember thinking well there has to be about 10 minutes added on because there's been all this chaos that's just happened like it just felt like it was there just had to be time added on. I remember thinking we'll get we will get one chance. I'm like, I'm confident we'll get one chance. We'll have to take it. So I just remember saying to the girls at the time, we were getting the ball back to halfway to take kick off. It just become three up three all. And I remember just saying at Claire Emsley, I was like, We'll get a chance. Just trust that we'll get a chance. Don't, don't change who we are. We've been the better team. We'll get a chance. And then the game ended. Literally, I think like took center, two passes, game done, which that was just Oh, heart wrenching! Like he just, I'm, I'm certain I'll never experience anything like it again. And I think it's so difficult in that moment because you were three and a lot with twenty minutes to go. Like you can't blame the ref, and I, I still don't blame the ref by any means. Even though I think there was a the number of things that were very unjust in the moment. Um, you can't, you can't give away like three goals in twenty minutes in a World Cup game that all you have to do is win, really. I mean, goal, goal difference absolutely could have mattered, but I think we'd worked out that a win was almost definitely going to get us to the next stage. Um, so yeah, just again, like the lowest moment afterwards. And I know I I sort of had to speak to the media after, and it's still numb. Then you know, the, probably the first thirty minutes, first hour after, it's a weird feeling. Um, so it's, it's like an emptiness, I would say, and then it kind of just wears you down, probably over the course of the next period of time and I can remember coming home and I was still I'd asked <laughs> I was meant to be going back to Utah as soon as we were out and the club had the asked me if a weekend which I think was like four days later and I was like absolutely not and the GM was like well why not and Harv's was like you can have another week just take another few days so I <laughs> had to go back and play the following week which in some ways helped because it gave you something else to work to focus on but at the same time you were just suppressing the fact that that was just that's such an awful experience to have to go through um and I I remember my dad like making me watch the semi-final England were playing USA and I was just so angry at him for making me watch it um which well, you didn't have to watch it, I guess I could I could have gone to a different room in the house but when you're visiting your mum and dad you, you know you probably should sit with them um and we watched it and it probably did help me a little bit get sort of through part of just processing it. But, um, it takes a long time. You, you don't forget the feeling. You don't forget how that felt. And, um, for most of the game, I don't honestly don't remember 95% of it. I just can remember those last sort of few minutes from when that free kick was taken. Um, I can still picture Fiona standing at the side being like, why is the ref just let it play on play start? I'm not coming on. Um, so, yeah, just an, another experience. And, you know, people say, oh, you're stronger for it, or you learn from it. Um, a little bit to me, like, those phrases are a little bit cliche. Um, you know, I, you, there is a lot of learning you can you can absolutely take from that, but um, it, it doesn't really help change that moment in itself at all.
1: I will ask one more question about that game, and then hopefully it's a, a lighter note from here on in. Uh, it's probably... question even obvious answer to but what was the mood in the dressing room like after i'm guessing a mixture of maybe anger disbelief shock um probably everyone's got a yeah probably everyone had somewhere on that spectrum
3: yeah i think that probably captures it i think the one thing is we have and that we have now and at that time we had a really great team in terms of the culture amongst the girls um everybody thought it like everyone was in it together you know the team cohesion was I would say just in such a good place um it was you know you could sit beside anyone in at, at the dinner table you could sit and have a tea or a coffee with anyone during the afternoons like we had such a great group so I think that probably helped massively after that I think we were very together through all of it and so there, there was all sorts of emotions some people were quite cold and just quite shut off and trying to process it that way others were visibly really upset and some were furious at the ref um but we all were we all were very close and I think that was important probably for us being able to kind of accept what we'd gone through and then work you know to get back out together and I mean you finish a summer tournament and with Euro qualifying but you hit a straight into another campaign you know just weeks later realistically so that's a blessing and a curse in itself but I think as a collective group of players um, we have a good unity amongst us and I'd say that's still that's still the case now and that's really important I think for us just as a team and who we want to be.
0: And if nothing else um, it means that you kind of join the national psyche of Glorious Scottish exits from from World Cups.
3: Yeah, I always say it, it's either catastrophic or euphoric, and nothing in between. So yeah,
0: absolutely, definitely. Um, let's try and look forward a bit more positively now. So um, obviously the the SFA have, a, have agreed now that the women's team will play all of your qualifiers at Hampden uh, going forward, which is a a great move, and this led to you grabbing your first goal at the National Stadium uh, in the last qualifier against Hungary, a last minute winner. Another proud moment one would imagine and want to pop in the memory box.
3: Yeah, that was... That was absolutely amazing. Uh, The the feeling of scoring at The feeling of playing at Hamden... is just different. It's just... It's it's something that I think all of us feel extremely grateful that we are current national team players and we've been given this opportunity. Um, It feels amazing. Uh, I think a lot of people have questioned it, which... At times, being a female player is frustrating because I think it's quite obvious they made a decision to allow us to play there. We are the national team. Um, And I think it's amazing that they've decided to do that. I think it puts us, you know, something we should actually blow up. Like not many countries do that, you know, on a consistent basis. I think a lot of teams get to play. You know, we know England have played at Wembley. We know other teams have played at the same their national stadiums, but, you know, now it's our home for qualification games. I think it's absolutely incredible. Um, And I think we should only talk about it in a positive way. And then, yeah, as you said, you know, the score at Hamden is absolutely amazing. Obviously the nature of the goal, you know, being important um, makes it that a little bit more special. But I think uh, Jenny as well, you know, setting it up, I think rarely do you see centre-backs combine, And then obviously... I think the men's team did it just, you know, that first goal in Denmark and Cooper sets it back to Souter. But there's something about that. It's just a good feeling. You know, you work hard as a partnership. It's one of the, one of probably the only positions where realistically your individual performance is almost irrelevant. It's about your performance collectively. That's most important. Um, And a lot of people think both me and Jenny have been in the team a long time. We're really close friends, but we haven't actually played that many games the two of us. So, um, we absolutely we we love it. We and yeah, it was absolutely buzzing that you know we could obviously contribute at the other end of the pitch this time and and salvage three points. Before
2: we look towards the uh the future, I just wanted to take a step back to the World Cup 2019. I can't think of women's football being having the kind of exposure it did on the TV as that World Cup did. Did you get a sense? either during or maybe afterwards, of just how big that was for the women's game and how important it would be for women's football to really kick on and develop even further in this country and perhaps even, you know, throughout the world.
3: I mean, yeah, definitely got sense. I think it was incredible. I think even being there, you could feel it. And then obviously, kind of the after effects of just seeing um, how the game's growing and, you know, being a little more interested about about all those things I probably have a bit more of an awareness of just you know the fact that participation is much higher there's a lot more um school programs the criteria for clubs um you know sort of right from the top down to all youth ages it has um just seen huge impact so I think it's I think it's great I think there's nothing else really to sort of say other than i think the more we can do this the more we can make it visible the more we keep doing well um it's just having huge hugely positive impacts just across the board and you know more specifically on the girls side i think um we need to always be a little bit more encouraging to girls participation i think we know that there's a massive drop off at high school age for a number of factors um but the more we can try and help girls feel that we can break down some of those barriers and make them feel more comfortable and encouraged to, to play sport. They don't need to be in any way an elite sports person, but just to feel there's a place for them. You know, it's, it's absolutely about everybody. Um, I, I've loved all sort of parts of my career and, you know, from the school team to, you know, where we were just friends and we played every sport and on whatever day it was football, that's what we played. So, um, you know we want it to be for everybody we want there to be participation and involvement for those who want to do it yeah absolutely
2: and i think i saw seen somewhere that women's football is the fastest growing game in the uk so you can tell the impact you had there we're recording this interview in the lead up to the upcoming double header against ukraine and spain in 2023 world cup qualifying take you're looking forward to these games <laughs>
3: yeah yeah definitely i mean they they're going to be the toughest ones yet obviously. Um, and Spain away will be extremely tough, but I think you, Ukraine at home is a game, we have to get three points. We, um, They're just, if we want to realistically achieve what we want to, then it, it's a must win. And, you know, they're a good team. Um, we played them probably just over two years ago. It will be different to that, but um, they're a side that are very, very competitive. And they have, a number of experienced players. They have good players. We expect them to be physical. Um, the game, the margins between teams is, has, you know, reduced in general. So, you know, teams that even though they can perhaps have a slightly lower, lower ranking than you, you know, there, there is no easy games in, the, in these competitions now. So, yeah, Friday is a massive one. It, it's going to be tough, but we we can't wait for it.
2: Yeah, well, we wish you all the best for that. One final question about the Scottish squad able to tell us if there's any other Dons fans in there Uh,
3: we have had a few over the years Um, I count Rachel Small although she does have to of course she has a soft spot for Hibs given her husband is quite decent for them I'd count her as a Dons fan and I think she might be the only one at the moment but there was a couple of years where we had a good few Um, but it might just be me and her now Laura Montgomery, the the owner of Glasgow City, is a a big Don's fan.
0: I I heard you mention this, I think, before. um, Yeah. Which which did pique my interest a
1: little bit.
3: She helped me a lot in those tough days.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will take you all the way back full circle to Aberdeen. And uh, we just chat about the Aberdeen's women's side who are finding life in SWPL1 quite tough. But I'm guessing you must be pleased to see your first side back to the, the top flight and maybe... Just looking to see if you can explain to our listeners just how big a step it is for Emma Hunter's side this season.
3: Yeah, it's a big, it's definitely a big step from the championship. I mean, you've teams there, you know, Rangers, full-time outfit, Celtic have certainly full-time players, Glasgow City, full time, um, and top teams, you know, players you who know, international players. It's great they're in there first and foremost, and huge, you know, close friends with Kelly Forrest. And you know, and a number of the girls who are in the team I know well, and I always follow their results. And I think they've had a bit of a tough run of late, and they've sort of lost that little bit of a a momentum sort of surge that they maybe had at the start of the season. But they've they've more than enough to to have a solid first year in that in that top division. I think the infrastructure they've been given with that Aberdeen is continually growing, and you know, I think the more we can push that and encourage the club to do that then the more and more Aberdeen will compete because, you know, we can have as good resources as all these other clubs and think that's going to be key in helping them just bridge the gap because the game is growing. And so even these teams are already ahead of them. They're going to continue to get further ahead unless Aberdeen makes sure they kind of keep up with, with where the game is moving. And um, I know that Dave Cormack is... a understands that. I know he spent a lot of time in the US. I've had conversations with him about him he, he he sees the women's game there and and has seen, you know, just the product that it is and it, it can be a product that can bring in value. So um that's always good too. But I, I'd love to see them just kind of get out this little rut they're in and, and find a way to get a couple of results because I I think they're suffering a little bit from some poor form and they they had a difficult run of results. So there's no need to probably them to feel that pressure just yet because they've definitely got enough quality in there to keep them in in the top flight and you know certainly comfortably sit mid-table I think the quality that they have.
0: Yeah I think you're right the, the run of fixtures they've had has just been like horrendous in terms of just playing the I guess the, the big three I'm going to call them here just now and even then like some other wool and, and hips who <clears throat> are experienced at that level and hopefully now I think they've got a thistle at the weekend and then a run of like Spartans and a couple of other teams that hopefully then they can get some more points. Like you say, get back up to that kind of, that kind of mid table area.
3: Yeah. It's, it's tight with, with all those clubs, just sort of probably from like sixth down to 10th, you know, one win can just boost you so much. I think hearts were sitting bottom a couple of weeks ago. They've had two back to backs and, you know, now they're not not too far away from Hibs who have for so long been one of the top teams. So um yeah, they'll be they'll be more than fine. Just need to find that form, which you can feel that's the thing, you know, feeling that pressure and getting in the habit of losing as well as being in the habit of winning.
0: Absolutely. Listen, Rachel, we we'll round things off here because we've taken up way too much of your time already. Um especially when you're i S-
3: rubbish most of the time, sorry.
0: <laughs> especially when you're in Scotland camp. We said it earlier on, but we don't want to be the ones to blame for anything that might happen on Friday night. Fingers crossed it doesn't, and it's a, a solid three points against Ukraine. To set up, I guess a bit of a straight shootout between ourselves and the Spaniards for for automatic qualification, hopefully. But we'll round things off with one final question. This is one question that we ask all of our guests that we've got on the show. What does Aberdeen Football Club mean to Rachel Corsi?
3: I've never been asked this before. That's quite. That's a tricky one. Um, how, do think, how do you answer that? Honestly, I think I think to be to be totally honest, I feel it's like a passion that is within you. That and to me, it's. Um, I think that's the, bit, the best way for me to describe what the club is to me. You know, I, I think, I, I, yeah, I love, the, I love the Dons. There we go.
0: There we go. Great <laughs> stuff. Simple as that. Rachel Corsi, thank you so much for joining us on the ABZ Football Podcast. It's been our pleasure having you. All the best for the next couple of games with Scotland and uh, obviously for the next season with uh, with Kansas City and in, in, in the American League.
3: Thanks so much. Cheers. Stand free. Stand free.
0: And... That wraps up this week's episode of the APZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us and please remember to like, subscribe, follow or whatever on your podcast player of choice. Join us next week for episode 22, where we'll be joined by Andy Murray. Not that one. Andy Murray of What Culture will be joining us to look at our SPFL Premiership trip to McDermott Park against St. Johnston and to preview our trip to Easter Road and our home fixture against Dundee. And we'll also take our regular look at the women's team, the young team, and we'll keep an eye on our loanees in Lone Watch. And then we're gonna take you through your ABZFP Worst Dons 11 as voted for by you, the ABZFP universe. And this also includes a beautiful little Easter egg that we're sure you will all enjoy. We look forward to seeing you then. Stand free. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was sponsored by Eastside Photography, your family, pet and wedding photographer of choice. Covering the whole of the northeast of Scotland, Kevin at Eastside Photography has one aim, capturing those moments for you and your loved ones to treasure forever. With a focus on shooting in natural and candid environments, Eastside Photography creates a fun and relaxed atmosphere for all the family, including your four-legged friends. Eastside Photography hand edit each shot before delivering a personalised package designed to suit your budget and needs. To find out more, check out Eastside Photography at eastsidephotography.co.uk or follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Eastside
2: Photography Scotland to check out their work and to book your next shoot.